Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Maniathon. I nearly forgot the name of the podcast there. So this is John Haney here with Nathan Adam. I think that is the first time that we've actually identified ourselves with our names there. So in case you were listening and had no idea who was talking, now you know. So we're going to go through WrestleMania 33 here, which happened what feels like years ago at this point, because it's been so long since we were able to talk about it. But, you know, better, better late than never anyway. So we'll just get into things here. So... Before we actually get to the actual WrestleMania card, we might as well touch on the Hall of Fame. Did you watch the Hall of Fame? Uh, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched uh, a good lot of it. It was uh, it was really really funny. Yeah, there were some good speeches on there. Kurt Angle's one was pretty good. Uh, yeah, DDP had a good speech. A lot of, a lot of good stuff on there. A lot yeah. of nice nice to see Rick Rude finally go in. Yeah, um, it was just pretty surreal to see Kurt Angle out there. For the first time in fucking so many years, accepting his Hall of Fame honors, and he was yeah. at WrestleMania. Obviously, it was, I don't know. It just made me happy because we haven't seen Kurt in like what is it, like like eleven years now. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time for somebody to not be on WWE TV. Is this the best Hall of Fame class they've had in four years? It might be. It's it's been a while since they had one that was this stacked. I mean, I don't know who they're planning on for New Orleans next year. I feel like they're almost running out of big names. They can really not... The only guys I can really see them headlining the Hall of Fame with in the next couple of years would be Undertaker, The Rock, The Rock, if they want The Rock in, or if The Rock wants to go in, I'm sure he'll go in whenever he's ready to. Uh, I guess you could put in Daniel Bryan, though, that he's retired, but probably not if he's planning on leaving and going to Ring of Honor or somewhere when his contract expires, which I'm pretty sure he is, so they're probably not going to want to touch him. Uh, John Cena, I guess. Unless they want to touch Daniel Bryan before all that happens. Yeah, and then fucking he can go on on Ring of Honor as a WWE Hall of Famer. I'm sure they would love that. Well, they would. They, well, they can induct him and then completely erase him. I'm sure they would love that too. But yeah, there's not that many big time names left to actually headline a Hall of Fame. You got There's a good bunch of people in there who you could fill in Hall of Fame class with, but. Not as many big-time stars that they... I mean, they've brought everybody back into the fold by now, so we'll see who's uh, headlining in the Hall of Fame this time next year. I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be The Undertaker, but you never know. Maybe The Undertaker will be at WrestleMania next year. We don't fucking know. But yeah, so this should have been the first WrestleMania for Mauro Ronaldo, so might as well... I know everybody's already given their hot take on the whole JBL bullying situation, so... Uh, very briefly touch on that and then move on. So, what was the uh, the general consensus from your end on that? Um, people were losing their minds. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were saying JBL should be sacked. Uh, I, for the life of me, and I know we've 
talked about this previously, but for the life of me, I can't see them firing JBL. No. Um, particularly when I know that something that goes hand in hand with the more Ronaldo bullying story is the Justin Roberts story. Yeah. And with when Justin Roberts in that excerpt from his book said that whenever uh, JBL like took his passport or something, that Vince basically laughed it off in yeah. the office, that would seem to imply that uh, Vince McMahon doesn't really see anything wrong with it. So I think it's going to be uh, WWE's good old philosophy of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, it's just kind of the backstage philosophy that they've had that for many, many years, so... I don't. I don't anticipate any kind of change. Though I don't think they're going to fire JBL. I'm not even too sure which kind of camp I fall into because I. Don't, I really don't think that JBL should be allowed to get away with this shit. But I mean, at the same time, this is. It's the same stuff that you always hear about. So JBL probably he should be disciplined. I don't know if he should be fired <coughs> because he's been getting away with it for, for so many years without being reprimanded by the top. You can't just fire him now because it's a PR nightmare. You need to put in strict policies of. What is going to happen? You can suspend them and say if you if you or anybody else does anything like this in the future, it's your ass. But you know, you can't just suddenly turn around because there's public demand for it because that just makes you look like a hypocrite because you've been condoning it for so many years. So they need to put some kind of policies in place regarding this, but I'm sure they won't because it's their own locker room. No, on just the topic, um, I haven't. Maybe I just haven't read extensively enough on it. But I have not actually seen or read about like a concrete example of what JBL has done to Marvinal. Like I've read well, about other stuff that he said, but like I don't know what he was saying. Like I was was is the whole thing pivoting on that retweet that Marvinal did about the like being um, voted in an online poll as the best announcer. Is that what this whole thing is pivoting on, or does it yeah. go deeper than that? Well, it was the Wrestling Observer <clears throat> newsletter awards there. Morrow was uh, very happy that he ended up winning. JBL went on bring it to the table, completely slammed him for it. I mean, I didn't really pay too much attention to it, because that's just JBL's gimmick. He's just basically an asshole. And then there was that whole situation where Morrow got it seemingly was too upset to come to SmackDown, so the cover firm said it was a a, a storm weather or something. Yeah, weather issue. He couldn't make it, and then JBL went on Twitter and started saying everybody who everybody made it to the SmackDown, everybody, and he got pretty animated about that. So, and then he of course deleted the tweet because he's a fucking coward, but. You know, that's just the sort of thing that JBL's been known to do over the years. I can't really say that uh, that JBL's a, a person that should be held in high regard by anyone. He's always come across as a complete dick. But, I mean, I feel bad for Moral Ronaldo in this whole situation, obviously, because he's... I mean, this is a job that he clearly was very into. He's, he's loving it. He loves commentating on all these matches. He can tell that he's one of the few people there that are genuinely enthusiastic, unlike the other fucking turds they have on commentary, like... I mean, no offense to guys like like David Otonga, but David Otonga is enthusiastic about his job. He's doing a pretty good job of keeping that a secret. And then you have JBL just shitting on him because Morrow wins an award that he... I mean, I'm not even a huge fan of Morrow when I was commentary, but I mean, I'm not going to dispute that he's one of the best that they have. He wins this award, he's happy about it, and JBL's shitting on him for it. So, I mean, there might be more more stuff there beneath that. I mean, JBL could be picking on Morrow every week for all we know. 
Moro really hasn't come out and said anything about it, which is telling as well, because he hasn't come out and said anything in JBL's defense. Like, if you were if you worked for a company and you went off TV for, for reasons, and then basically everybody in the world is fingering JBL as the guy who completely fucking, like, made you want to quit your job or made you leave television, surely if JBL was an innocent man, Moro would be the first one to come out and say, leave JBL alone, everything's fine, it's not him, it's a completely separate issue. And he hasn't said shit, so... Yeah. Moreover at all, I think he's conducting himself very with a lot of dignity during this whole situation. Like, I saw a tweet there yesterday that someone said, uh, if WWE do not fire JBL, I'll be cancelling my, my WWE Network subscription. Yeah, I'm sure and that's going to happen. I know that... Uh, they will, WWE will be crying over such um, one person saying that, but uh, I know Morinal is kind of notorious for replying to fan messages, but yeah. he responded by saying, uh, don't do that, the men and women that put their bodies on the line don't deserve that, yeah. and you know, he's he's conducting himself with a lot of dignity. And it's a lot more dignity than friggin Kevin Nash is showing on Twitter, going out and talking about in JBL's defence. I don't know. I mean, Kevin Nash is saying that he's never seen the, the bullying side of JBL, and, I mean, can you really blame him? Like, Kevin Nash is fucking seven feet tall. I don't think JBL's picking on Kevin Nash anytime soon. In fact, from what we can gather, it seems to be the fucking announcers that he picks on, or people like Justin Roberts or Ron <coughs> Ronaldo, who are obviously aren't going to defend themselves against a, a guy who's six foot six. So, yeah, it's, that's generally what bullies tend to do. And also, I mean... It's Kevin Nash, like, he's he's a pretty protective guy. People are not going to fuck around with Kevin Nash, given the ties that he's had over the years of Hogan, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, everybody else. I think Kevin Nash is pretty much bulletproof, so he probably should stay out of this whole thing. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's nice he's coming to the defense of somebody that he feels is his friend or somebody that he feels is innocent, but... I mean, who's anybody to say other than the people who are directly involved in this situation? Just because Kevin Nash isn't aware of any of this stuff going on doesn't mean that it isn't going on. Very true. But I guess, I mean, like, who are we to say? Because we're just fucking sitting here on the sofa reading about this on online, so... True. Might as well leave it at that anyway and actually dive into some fun, I guess? Yeah, yeah. WrestleMania, <laughs> the ultimate thrill ride. Yes. WrestleMania, full ride at... Is it actually, like, genuinely in their contract to have a Flo Rider song at every single WrestleMania? How many is this now? I think, is this not the fourth? It might be. I mean, he was definitely there for WrestleMania 28. They had a Flo Rider song last year, but he wasn't there. Surely they've had one as well for WrestleMania 31? Maybe? I don't know. We'll do a Flo Rider count over the course of the NFL. As we go back in time, we're going to see how many Flo Rider theme songs they've used. I think he should be the um, the person that underpins the WrestleMania Hall of Fame class of 2018. Honestly, I couldn't even make a solid argument against that. That is... Yeah, you can't even dispute that, really. This many fucking songs, Flo Rida is basically a bona fide member of the Hall of Fame already. But yeah, so... Did you watch the pre-show or just the main show? I did watch the pre-show. Uh, Great, so you put up with all seven hours of the show? Well, I have to say that when I realized they were talking for the first 40 minutes, I kind of <laughs> uh, jumped through, because although, uh, like, WrestleMania, I think, in the last few years has done, they've done a great job in, like, surprising you with results, 
I'm not saying whether that's a really good thing or a bad thing uh, in terms of how I would have preferred the results to go, but they've done a very good job in having results go that uh, go the way, an unexpected way. So um, whenever you listen to the pre-show, it becomes pretty obvious where things are going because they always have two to one people being like, I think uh, I think Triple H is going to win. I think Seth Rollins is going to win. Uh, well, I think Triple H is going to win. You know, yeah. so uh, I kind of skipped through that. Um, and just kind of skip to the Austin Aries Neville match, did you? Yeah, well, the Austin Aries Neville match is pretty, pretty good. Went back and forth for, but it wasn't, it wasn't the best match that these guys could have. I'm pretty sure they're going to have a much better one at whatever the next Raw pay per view is. I guess Payback. Yeah, I thought um, just on that, like I thought they they built the pace up really well in the match. Like the pacing of the match um, built very well. Yeah. Gradually. Um, and I noticed that pretty early on, there was a, a German where Austin Aries landed on his head. Did yeah. you notice this? Yeah, Neville's, Neville's dishing out those brutal German suplexes lately. That looked really, really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and sore. Um, I also loved the the eye gouge on, on Aries, which obviously yeah. fits with the storyline and stuff like that. Yeah, Austin Aries is recovering from the, the eye injury that he had a couple of couple of months ago there at the hands of Shinsuke Nakamura. He got his fucking dick beat in, so... Something yeah. as simple as that, yeah, I think it's... Um, it's good because I know that uh, Mick Foley, before he got the Raw General Manager's job, he would post on like Facebook weekly about Raw, and yeah. one of the things he was lamenting, not just McFoley in fairness, but was that like the bad guys and the heels were not using very cowardly tactics. Like they were just beating people. Yeah, and it, up. it just happened to be that this person was a bit of a douche and this mm. other person wasn't. So it's nice to see. Um, Adrian Neville, or Neville as I should just call him, uh, used the eye gouge, fits with the storyline, fits with his character, all of that. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, he got the red arrow, got the one, retained the Cruiserweight Championship in the, I guess, the opening match of the WrestleMania, but I mean, it's the pre show, so it's not really the same thing as being the opening match at WrestleMania, but you know, it was, it was a good wee match. I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm sure these guys are going to do much better in the in the future there, so that moves us on to the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, the annual Andre, Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, and this is, what is this, the third year now that this has ended up on the pre-show? Why? Why bother? But I guess they got to have some way to get everybody out on the show because there weren't enough matches on the show apparently to accommodate all the big stars they have, so they got to get everybody else on this fucking Battle Royal. Some people in here were just a complete waste. Sami Zayn, Luke Harper... Luke Harper, Braun Strowman. How on earth Braun Strowman ended up in this fucking match and not on the main card is baffling to me. Especially given how hard, how much hard work they put into pushing this guy over the last, what, eight months now? And a really, really good match with Roman Reigns at that last pay-per-view. Yeah. I'm sure you'll have another good match at uh, Payback where, I guess, Brock's going on holiday for that one, so that's going to be your main event for the upcoming pay-per-view in May, I guess, would be. I assume it's not later this month. I mean, it might be this fucking weekend, for all I know. I think it's next week. Yeah, that's really... Okay. Um, Ah. Did you notice that um, 
JBL came up with a fantastic quote during the Andre Battle Royal saying that WrestleMania that will live forever. Yeah, well, like with this, um, the, the chance of winning the Andre Battle Royal, like this will be a WrestleMania. Oh, he meant this match that will live would forever. live forever. I don't see that happening. I completely forget pretty much everything that happened in it, other than Braun Strowman Big Show had a showdown, yeah. like a stare down for like four seconds. And then they were both eliminated really, really quickly. Yeah, that surprised me because Braun was my pick, obviously. So that was uh, that was a bit of a shocker there, especially to see Big Show go that early. I don't think this is going to be Big Show's last WrestleMania appearance, like he's alluded to. But as well, it shouldn't be because I mean, it's fucking Big Show. He deserves a bigger send off than that. He's a, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's one of those guys that's just been in that company for so long that future Hall of Fame. You can't have taken him for granted. And he could headline the Hall of Fame. I'm not even joking when I say that. Kevin Nash can headline the Hall of Fame. Big Show can. Why don't we have Mayor Kane headline the Mayor Hall of Kane Fame? Mayor Kane can headline the Hall of Fame as well whenever he's uh, he's ready to hang out the boots. But, uh, Jesse Ventura? Oh, he's already in the Hall of Fame, actually. But yeah, no. Yeah, like, um, it was just really weird, um, as you said, because Ron Strowman was eliminated so soon. Yeah. It was really strange. Uh, well, I suppose one of the maybe slight pluses is it was nice to see Killian Dane do go pretty deep into it. Yeah, Big Demo is the NXT rival on this one. Well, not really any rival because he was only up there for that one particular appearance and then I guess he's just back down in NXT now. Uh, they also had uh, Bing some for another. I'm not too sure. The uh, the Chinese guy they had in there. Yeah. He's not, I don't even believe he's on NXT TV. Is he? I don't think he's actually appearing on TV. I think he's just made this one appearance here. It's kind of like when they put Hideo Itami in the Battle Royal like two years ago, but a lot less like that, because at least Hideo Itami was actually on TV. I don't even know if Bing has even done training yet. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he just, he didn't really do anything. Not that many people did anything. The only people who really did things were eliminated pretty quickly, like Big Show, Braun Strowman, Harper and Dolph Ziggler got eliminated. They were out of there. Uh, Sam Zayn got eliminated. And then we had uh, Jinder Mahal, <laughs> Big Demo, Mojo, and Rob Gronkowski, a.k.a. Gronk, I guess. From some NFL team, right? The Patriots. Is, is it, was it NFL? Is it yeah, NFL? Yeah he's, it? A, yeah, he's a footballing star, I guess. Um, I mean, you have to forgive me for my ignorance on the NFL. As I'm sure you'll come to find out when we do the WrestleMania 2 review, I know nothing about American football. Or, uh, or baseball, for that matter, so pretty much everybody who appeared at WrestleMania 2, I have a fucking clue who they were, but we'll get into that next week, I think. Um, and then we will, uh, so we got Gronk here, who tries to get over the barricade after after Jinder hindered him. He, he threw a cup at him, I guess. I guess it was supposed to get him wet. It maybe left like a two-inch stain on his shirt, on his, like, right shoulder. Barely made any contact with him, but it set him off anyway. He tried to come over the barricade. Security lady looked like she was legit confused by what was going on, but I don't know. I don't know what that was all about. And when Gronk ended up getting into the ring, he laid out gender, and that's what led to Mojo Raleigh. Can I just, like, add a point on this? Uh... And again, this, excuse my ignorance, uh, right, with NFL, like I said, I'm, I'm surmising this, so definitely not possible here. I'm not but, the one answer, any questions like, you may have. 
Well, what I was going to say is, like, NFL seems to have pretty strong allegiances, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this guy Gronk plays for Atlanta? No. Does he? The Patriots. Oh, sorry, New England Patriots, okay? Yeah. So, like, first of all, the rest of me, they cried. Like, I would hazard a guess, give less than 0% care about this guy. I don't know, I think Gronk but, got over, I think people were, were happy to see him. But also, him. also, is there not like that thing where, like, it's really, NFL, just like any sport, can be really tribal? So, like, it's yeah. like whenever they're in Manchester or something, and they'll, like, show a picture of, like, a Manchester United player or a Manchester City player, there's some people in the crowd that are going to love that, yeah. and there's some people in the crowd that are going to hate that, but whenever they bring in a football player that isn't even from, like, the state that they're in, it, it, it's a bit I mean, just a bit weird. I mean, maybe he is from that state, just because he plays for the New England Patriots doesn't mean he's from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or wherever the hell they're based. I mean, he might be from Florida. Maybe he's just a, a generally liked guy. I don't know. I've never heard of him. He seemed to be pretty over here. Maybe it was just the fact that he was helping Mojo Raleigh because Mojo was... I mean, people... It's not like Mojo was big time over, but, I mean, people were happy for him, I guess. It was, he, it was a nice moment. It was a nice moment. Smackdown seemed to really like Mojo Raleigh. Yeah, I mean, I assume they probably got some bonds from Mojo Raleigh going forward. They seem to be into him as a, as a... I don't know if as a top guy, but they're getting behind him, green as he may be, so... I mean, whatever. It is what it is. It's a way to put over a guy who really wasn't doing much, like they did with Baron Corbin last year. Baron Corbin's really come a long way since last year. He's, uh, he's He was next up on the show anyway. Yeah. So hopefully things turn out a little more Baron Corbin for Mojo and a little less Cesaro. No offense to Cesaro, but he really didn't do fuck all after that one. Maybe did Baron Corbin, actually, I guess, for a couple of months. It was really the draft, the kind of booted Baron Corbin into becoming a bigger star, and I guess possibly future Intercontinental Champion, I guess, yeah. no, is he? Wait, could he be? I mean, is Ambrose defending the Intercontinental title against Corbin at any point in the just, future? Ju- like, just on this, I'd like to say that the SmackDown post mm-hmm. WrestleMania, yeah. these guys had a great match, like a great street fight, Yeah, yeah and Corbin won, better. and it wasn't even for the title. No, like, no. What, like, that was really weird. Like, what, yeah, what's know, the point of that like? Yeah, so it was Dean Ambrose and Baron Corbin up next, as Nathan said. They had a straight fight on SmackDown that was much better. I thought the title was on the line. And SmackDown? Yeah, no. and then when Baron Corbin won the match, I was like, oh, okay. And then he ended up not being handed the title. I was like, oh. And then I think Byron or somebody said something along the lines of, well, he's got he's to win over the Intercontinental Champion. And I was like, well, that was... What? What's the point of that? Like, not to compare wrestling and boxing or anything, yeah. but like, again, between my ignorance, but it would seem to me that whenever, like, a boxer is fighting, if they hold any form of championship, if they're fighting in that weight class, then the championship is on the line. Yeah. Like, you don't just have random matches when you're the champion. Yeah, well, that is boxing and MMA kind of thing, though, that's... Those guys don't really... They only fight every couple of months, so every fight they have is a title match. You can't really put the title on the line in every match because they want reasons not... They like they beating... It special, they, they, like, they like beating their <laughs> champions. Yeah, that's true. So they can't... Alan, Seth, Seth Rollins, they did that, title already. I mean, if the titles were on the line all the time, they would literally change like five times a week. 
so they can't really do that. I mean, they would just beat the shit out of their champions left, right, and center, and then what happens when they put the title on somebody they don't want to be defeated? Like, I don't know. Yeah, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns. Who's going to take that title off them? Um, yeah, so. I, I, I noted on this match, has there ever been someone that's faced Brock and then has been on the pre-show the following year? Um, almost uh, certainly not. Ambrose, um, obviously, faced Brock Lesnar last year at WrestleMania, and now he's on the pre-show. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Triple H faced Brock at WrestleMania 29, and then was on the opening match at WrestleMania 30, which he lost, so that's not the same thing, obviously, but... Suppose it's the closest to it. I mean, um, it's also the first time you're ever going to see Triple H in an opening match at WrestleMania, and the only time I'm sure. Also, this uh, it shows you how much they cared about this match. Not just not only the fact that they had it on the pre-show, but the fact that they showed the ending of the Andre the Giant ba- Battle Royale while Dean Ambrose was making his way to the ring. Well, well, I mean, it's a long ramp, so they have time to kill. Once Ambrose comes out, it takes them like two minutes, two minutes to get to the ring because it's so fucking long. I'm fine with them showing catch-ups or whatever. It's the pre-show. I mean, I don't know why they had a fucking advertisement in the middle of the Aries and Neville match. I mean, they have fucking two hours to fill. They have, like, maybe about less than 30 minutes of actual wrestling on the show. Why they needed to show an ad in the middle of a fucking match is beyond me. But, yeah, so this this match really wasn't anything special. Corbin worked the ribs. Fucking hit D'Ambrose right in the face with a boot on his stupid rebound. And which I suppose is uh, playing into the whole storyline of his Ambrose having his ribs crushed by a forklift. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago in SmackDown. Uh, I kind of wanted to see Corbin do the deep six as well off like the clothesline rebound. I thought that would have been a nice spot, but I don't think he did it. I, I think they did it on SmackDown. Did they do it on SmackDown? Yeah, probably did actually. Um, and then after there was a near fall. Corbin was freaking out, yelling at Dean Ambrose. As soon as somebody starts yelling at somebody, you know that that's it. They're fucked. As soon as like Corbin started yelling at Dean Ambrose, who was dying, I knew exactly where it was going. So obviously, uh, Ambrose did a reversal there, reversed the end of days into the uh, the dirty deeds, which was a nice little move. Yeah, it was. Really Is there a move in this company that's more protective than the dirty deeds? Does anybody kick out of this fuck? It's double arm DDT. And it's for Dean Ambrose, and God bless Dean Ambrose, I love him to death. He's not exactly the strongest book guy on the roster, yet for some... It's like for years they the had Seamus and the bro kick. And no matter <laughs> no matter how badly they treated Seamus, the bro kick was like... A, like, just once it happens, that's you dead. You were not kicked out. I mean, it's good, I guess. It's probably because Ambrose isn't in as many, like big-time matches where everybody kicks out of everybody else's finisher. I mean, John Cena's been in so many now that kicking out of the FU is basically a given. Same as kicking out of the Tombstone at WrestleMania. That was, like, something that didn't really happen up until, like, about five or six years ago, and now everybody just kicks well, out of Well, Shawn Michaels the one started that. Uh, well, technically, I guess it would have been Edge, but that was different circumstances, because Undertaker did the Tombstone, and then it took Charles Robinson about 17 minutes to get to the ring, so... But yeah, I guess Shawn Michaels would have been the one that kind of started kicking out of the tombstone like straight away. Also, I think Kane kicked out of the tombstone at WrestleMania 14. I understand that though. Yeah. Like, I understand Kane kicking out of it. Like, well, it yeah, just makes I mean, sense. Kane, Kane should have kicked out of it. That's well, his, his gimmick was that he was the un- he was the, like a stronger version of the Undertaker, but with fire. So, I mean, that made sense. But yeah, Undertaker won so, that match. The Dirty Deeds, one of the most protected. Yeah. Moves. 
um, in the company. I love how unprotected the pedigree is. Yeah, uh, the pedigree as well. It's not the... one of those moves that used to be so protected. True. That like, um, I mean, the pedigree is still protected because Triple H was obviously not going to kick out of the pedigree. If there's any move that's going to finish Triple H off, it's going to be his own move. So he sure shit wasn't kicking out of the Rollins pedigree. But, but we'll get into that. Um, that fair enough. It later. was really nice ending to the match, like you said. Yeah, it was a good reversal, but like I said, the match itself was nothing special. And that was the Intercontinental title match. So you had two fucking title matches on the pre-show. Two matches on the pre-show that were for championships. And we were, we both said we hoped that they would um, give Neville and uh, Aries on the main show. Yeah. And give them time to tell something special. But I suppose it's all about them trying to get people to subscribe to the network. And they like we yeah. two title matches on the on right. the pre-show. I understand why they did it. The placement of matches on the show is kind of weird in some points, but we'll actually get on to the main show now anyway, and might as well talk about this. So. Who's Tanashi? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> she sang the... I keep saying the National Anthem, but it's not actually. They don't sing the National Anthem. They do America the Beautiful every year, which is actually not the National Anthem. But she sang America the Beautiful. I have no idea who she is. I'm pretty sure she got booed, though. There she is. <laughs> um... Uh, the pre- what do you think of the pre-package? Yeah, it was it was a pretty good uh, WWE like, package. Maybe it's uh, kind of wishful thinking and stuff. Whenever you know you get caught up in WrestleMania fever, but WWE really know how to build themselves. Yeah, like when it comes to something at WrestleMania, they are absolutely superb at building themselves up. Yeah. They did a pretty good job of this. I mean, it felt like an acid trip at, at certain points, but whatever. I guess it's nice to see what wrestling would look like if you were on acid, like that one guy who went to an events and dropped acid and then wrote a blog about it, which is hilarious. So the, you had the New Day come out as the host. They were dressed up as Final Fantasy characters, and they said some things, and they left. Because that's a great segue for Michael Cole. Their gear's inspired by Final Fantasy. Right? Yep. Because Final Fantasy. Yeah, Final Fantasy sponsored the show, sponsors. so obviously you got to get that in there. I suppose it's like, a, like I was worried that they would have the New Day out all the time, and thankfully they didn't. Like they just had them out to get the crowd going, which is fair enough. And I thought that they opened the right way by getting the New Day out, getting them to the, get the crowd hype, and they probably opened with the right match as well. Yeah, they, uh, uh, it was a very weird decision, I think. I don't know. I don't know why. I just never would have guessed that this would have been the match that they would have been on first. I would have assumed it would be the latter match. I would have assumed it would be you know, any of the other matches here, the Neville's and Aries match, I guess. But it ended up being AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon, which was pretty surprising. But like you said, I think it was a pretty solid match to get people into the show with. It was... Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great opening match. I really enjoyed it. There was a big pop for both guys, but obviously AJ became the fan favorite as the match progressed. AJ was really over. He did his... There was an angle slam going on. Did you notice that? Yeah, there was an angle slam going on. And then uh, Shane McMahon was doing his uh, his shitty strikes. He loves to throw out those really bad-looking punches. I'm pretty sure one of them connected with AJ because he had a pretty, uh, pretty gnarly mark on his face on SmackDown the next night. You know what, mate, like, this, uh, like, maybe it's, a, like, it, not maybe, it's 100% critical for me to say, because, like, I'm a bit unhealthy, and I'm sitting on the sofa, <laughs> but, like, 
Shane McMahon looks gassed. He, he is like, gassed. Like, like, like I said, that's a rich point for me, but like, it seemed to be the same last year with Undertaker. Like, pretty soon into this match, yeah. um, he looked gassed. But this is the beauty of AJ Styles. He's just fantastic. Uh, AJ can do no wrong at this point. I mean, he's just able to bring Shane to a pretty excellent match here. He, uh, yeah, so they actually did some pretty sweet mat wrestling at the start. There was yeah. a calf crusher that was reversed into a sleeper that was reversed into an armbar that was reversed into an omoplata. It was what the announcer called. I don't think it was actually an omoplata, but whatever. We won't uh, pick that apart there. Shane McMahon, <clears throat> Shane McMahon sorry, kicked out of the Styles Clash at one point. Yeah. Which was pretty baffling. I uh, I immediately got quite worried whenever yeah. he only had one arm hooked. I was like, please don't land in your head, Shane. Please don't land in your head. Yeah. But he didn't, thankfully. Um, I nailed the move. Well, he got a, he got a one-armed one. So that, I guess that was the announcer's excuse for why Shane McMahon was able to kick out of the Styles Clash. What about the fourth? Did you notice the 450 into a triangle? Yeah, that was pretty cool as well. There's a lot of good stuff in this match. Uh, referee got knocked out inadvertently after an AJ kick. AJ tried to do the coast-to-coast. Obviously, the referee had to take a bump at some point because there's no way this match is going off without a hitch. You need to obviously have your shenanigans and your weapons and your Shane McMahon matches. It's just I don't know why they wouldn't have just made this match like a no-holds-barred match, but whatever, they, they had their reasons, I guess. AJ tried for a coast-to-coast. Shane had AJ in the face with the bend. Shane nailed the coast-to-coast himself, which was pretty impressive, given how late into the match it was that he was able to pull that off. Yeah. But I guess he was doing a bit of rest while AJ was uh, jumping halfway across the ring. And then, uh, yeah, yes. AJ kicked out of the, the coast-to-coast, the coast coast, and Shane tried for the leap of faith from the turnbuckle. I don't know why they did that spot on SmackDown, I think. They yeah, they did. Before, and they ended up actually doing the whole thing where AJ... Got put through the table by Shane, but on in this case, I guess as soon as they went for the spot, I knew. Well, Shane already put him through the table the first time, so obviously AJ's going to roll out, and he did. It just like you said, it seemed weird that they would give that away. Yeah. Earlier, the pulling up the good. I guess it was setting up for this, so Shane crashed and burned. Um, there was a cool DDT by Shane. Yeah, Shane. Fucking spiked AJ with the with the DDT. Those DDTs look pretty cool. One of the shooting star press by Shane. Yeah, Shane had a, a fucking great shooting star press for a guy of what, 43, 45 years old, and not even a professional athlete. Like Shane's always been pretty exceptional in that regard. I mean, for somebody who has either minimal training or no training at all, the stuff that Shane can do is just unheard of. So I mean, you know. And this was a great WrestleMania match. It was a great opening match. AJ, obviously, uh, Shane missed the shooting star press. AJ got the phenomenal forearm, got the win. Good opening match. Really set the tone for the show. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't really complain. I thought it was a thought it was a good way to start things. And the right man won. So everything was done very well. Everything was uh, yeah. Everything was great. This was the only other thing to comment on. It had nothing to do with the matches. My God, it got too dark. It, it was like so light before the show started. Even mm-hmm. when these guys were coming down the ramp, it looked like it was twelve in the day. And by the end of the match, it looked pretty stormy as well. I thought I heard thunder in the background, but I haven't heard any reports of thunder. So maybe it was just my street or something. There was destruction going on. I don't know. But yeah, it didn't sound like it was the best weather. And there was a point like 
like where it was really murky looking, like before they turned the lights on, like the proper full set on. But after it started to get kind of dark, where it was just kind of like everything was very gray looking. Once the the darkness completely came and they turned all the whole set on, everything looked a lot better, obviously. But yeah, it was kind of like a little transition period of grayness, which wasn't particularly great looking, but. Yeah, we then moved on to the United States Championship match between Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho. Jericho came out with a light-up scarf and a gigantic list. <sighs> what do you think of this uh, this United States title match? Um, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I know that you said beforehand, um, I thought it was going to be really great. And beforehand you were like, yeah. you thought it was going to underwhelm and flatter to deceive. Um, I, I think I was pretty uh, spot on. This is pretty much the match I was expecting. I don't think it was that great a match. I thought it was good. Not great, though. Uh, Owens wore down Chris Jericho. There was a replay showing a fucking drop kick on the apron while there was a drop kick at the same time. <laughs> so there was double drop kicks going on there. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. I mean, when you get into that position, you know what move is coming, so I don't know why you would play a replay while Jericho's setting up for one of his signature moves, but whatever, they got they got to get the replays in there. Obviously, they have to show a replay every four seconds, or else Kevin Dunn doesn't make his four million a year. Uh, Owen got a tiny cut. I thought that it was going to stick up a little bit more, but didn't really play into the match at all. So I guess that was good for, for him not having a giant scar on his head. Uh, <laughs> Jericho got his knees up for the frog splash, and the, uh, there was a lion salt, which Owens got his knees up for, and then there was a swanton, which uh, Jericho got his knees up for. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of knees up there for those uh, those high-flying moves. Jericho uh, got, or not, sorry, Kevin Owens actually got Chris Jericho into his own version of the Walls of Jericho, Yeah. which is not really the Walls of Jericho. It's the, Well, I guess it is the Walls of Jericho, but I was always a bigger fan of the Lion Tamer, where he's put the knee right on the back of the guy's head, but I guess you can't really do that to Kevin Owens. Looked a lot more brutal on smaller guys. Like When he used to put Rey Mysterio in that thing and just fucking break him in half, I love that shit. Yeah. Um, it might be the sadist to me. I noticed that they built up the Lion Salt in this match. Like yeah. It was on the third try that Jericho finally got it. Yeah. Um, there's a, there was a great reaction for Jericho in this match. Yeah, Jericho's been over for a while now, and now that he's kind of off TV temporarily, I guess. Is he? Well, I, I guess he was back on TV this week. I know yeah. he's going to be a payback, and then he's yeah. going to be off with Fozzie. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, when Jericho gets off TV for a bit, that's probably going to be a good thing for him because I don't think Jericho has like a long shelf life as a baby face. He works better as a heel. It might be different with the whole list gimmick and everything that he's got going on now, but I still think that after a while Jericho tends to. He's so good at being an annoying dick heel that when he's a baby face, he just kind of plays the same character. And after a while, you're like, why am I cheering for this guy? He's an, he's an annoying dick. But Jericho is amazing. And I know obviously this is probably. I'm probably repeating what I really would want you to repeat, but their fans to repeat, but it's amazing how Jericho evolves, like, really. Like, yeah. every single time, he manages to create a new character that is, in its essence, still Chris Jericho, but there's, you know, subtle differences. Um, yeah, Jericho's been pretty good at uh, keeping his character fresh over the years. He's a, he's a smart guy, he knows what he's doing, he's very creative, so... He's always been one of those guys that's... He doesn't really come back and rely on his old catchphrases like The Rock, for example, would do. 
I mean, obviously, the Jericho bust out his own catchphrase from now and then, but he does really like to kind of... Because I think for the first couple of months of his, his runs, they're normally pretty not great. Because I remember this time last year, he was just kind of doing the same shtick that he was doing years before, where he was like the slow-talking heel who would come out and use big words and stuff, and that was good, but it wasn't really anything new. And then when he started teaming up with Owens and started gearing himself more towards this new comedy character he's got, that's when he started to really kind of catch fire again. I remember you said you know? that Chris Jericho tends to come back playing the character that he left with, yeah. and then within like a month kind of transitions into something different. Yeah, I think it took a little longer this time. But, yeah, I, I love Chris Jericho. So he's, uh, he's doing well. Good for Jericho. I hope he's uh, I hope he's very successful on his tour with Fozzie, and I hope he comes back recharged and ready to, to keep going on, and hopefully he still gets all these great reactions that he's been getting lately. Yeah, he obviously he was not the victor in this match. Kevin Owens powerbombed him into the apron and won the United States title and took that title with him to SmackDown. So, yeah, Kevin Owens is the new United States champion. I'm sure that uh, he'll hopefully bring some luster back to that belt. I mean, Jericho really didn't do much for the United States title, which you can say about pretty much everybody who's had the United States title since John Cena hasn't really done much with it. But, you know, Owens, Owens is a sort of mid-card heel that... He could have a lot of great matches for the United States title, and he just came off a pretty dull Universal title run. He needs something to kind of build Owens back up to that level, because, I mean, Goldberg brought him down hard, I think. So, yeah. we'll see anyway where he, I'm sure, he'll have no shortage of, of decent challengers on SmackDown anyway. He's setting up for a few with AJ Styles on there, which I'm sure will be great. So we're just going to wait and see what, the, what he does with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um... The Raw Women's Championship <coughs> match was the next match on the card, yeah. and for the second year in a row, we got duped. <coughs> Not to be cynical, because, don't get me wrong, I really, really enjoyed the show. I think it's one of the best WrestleManias they've done. Like, I'm not saying it's going to say it is the best, but it's definitely up there in my opinion. But, like, this was literally the most boring route that they took with this match. Yeah, it, um, it wasn't a great match. They had Bailey, Sasha, Charlotte, who was dressed up as a peacock for some reason, and she's carrying that on now. And, and there's Nia tons Jax. of fireworks for her and her entrance. Yeah, they, the yeah, they want to make Charlotte out to be a big star. Um, I, I just, like, whenever they were coming down the ramp, I realized Charlotte is a four-time champion. All right. Sasha Banks is a three-time champion. And Bailey's a one-time champion. Like, think back to the days where, like, not the heart back to kind of the people that always want to return to 2004 or whatever, but like, Trish Stratus over the course of her whole (laughs) career had six, and Charlotte has four already, and like, I didn't love Charlotte, like, but so many, so soon. Well, they want her to get up there with... With her father and get those sixteen women's title reigns in there before she hangs it up. So we've got a couple of years to to get her up to sixteen. I'm sure they'll probably have her up there by the end of fucking next year at this rate. But we'll uh, see anyway. So. I suppose they're probably thinking as well. Charlotte is maybe like a bit older than the woman they tend to usually go for. Yeah, she's in her like thirties. She is in her thirties. I actually didn't know that. Well, they. Until, like, Recently. Tend to kind of like to have women in their like early twenties. Well, like, I mean, for, for them and stuff. For context, I'm pretty sure Sasha Banks is 24, 24, 25. I, is she not like 23? She's she not something like I don't know. She's, she's only like a year older than us or something. She's pretty young anyway, so 
Yeah, and then Charlotte obviously is in, I think she's about 32, 33-ish. So yeah, she's, uh, I mean, she's not old by any stretch of the imagination, but she's not the youngest woman they have on their, on their contract there, so. Uh, Naya was the first one eliminated, obviously. She dominated. Dominated early, and then she just got eliminated, so there was really no point in having her on there at all, other than just to have her on the show. Having a triple powerbomb, I suppose. And the triple powerbomb. I guess that was the only reason they had per Nia Jax on there. Um, Charlotte did a fucking insane corkscrew moonsault. That was fantastic. Yeah. Triple, uh, Triple threat formula followed as usual, so you got one person knocked the outside, two guys wrestled. Somebody comes back in, the other person gets knocked out, two people wrestle, so on and so forth. Pretty standard fare. Uh, Sasha looked legit KO'd as well from getting fucking rammed into the turnbuckle. And then uh, she got pinned, which kind of surprised me that Sasha was out of there. So, uh, in terms of yeah, a storyline point of view, it, there obviously would have been much more tension if it was Charlotte and, or not, Sasha and Bailey yeah. being the last two and yeah. stuff like that. Because they've been teasing them as friends, but... I don't know, for whatever reason, they, they seem a bit gun-shy about turning Sasha heel. I'm sure it's coming at some point, but they just haven't... Even now, they still haven't pulled it, like, two or three weeks later. I'm sure she's, uh... I mean, they're gearing up for it, clearly. They definitely want to have Sasha. And they're keeping Sasha and Bailey on the same brand for a reason. If they didn't have plans to do that feud, they would have just moved Sasha to SmackDown on Tuesday, but... They didn't. But anyway, so... Continue with this match here, it came down to... Bailey versus Charlotte. How worried were you that Charlotte was going to win? I wasn't worried. I like Charlotte. I was not, not that I was hoping that she would win, but I really didn't really have a dog in the fight at all. Um, she worked over Bailey's leg pretty methodically. Um, yeah. This is something I noticed as well. <laughs> now with the whole triple triple threat thing, yeah, they could have had uh, Bailey and Sasha in the ring more often because one of the comments I made was. Charlotte must be the most courageous heel in the entire company because she rests, she has more action in the match than anyone else. Yeah. She's still been wrestling everyone. Is this not is that not what your like courageous valiant face should be doing? Yeah, but I mean Charlotte's probably the one you want to keep on there for the majority of the match because she's the best out of all of them, so she's gonna have the best chemistry with every person in there. But you know, Bailey and Charlotte Bailey retains with an elbow drop. Macho Man elbow. Pretty. Like yeah, Macho Man elbow. Pretty whole home women's match. Good for Bailey, I guess, that she was able to retain the championship and you know, I know here. So. Uh, and also, this is just on the point of Charlotte wrestling more than anyone else. The commentators then went on to talk about Bailey being so gutsy, <laughs> which is like understandable. Yeah, I think Bailey her leg was being worked over and stuff. But again, it's pretty hypocritical whenever Charlotte wrestled far longer than <coughs> them. Yeah. Yet they're trying to make Bailey out to be like this really gutsy uh, champion. Also, uh, was it you that was saying to me or someone else that WWE are doing a great job of making Bailey like unlikable? Not like unlikable, but mm-hmm. you know, in NXT, it seemed like Bailey could do anything and you would love her because she's just in like an innately lovable, likable, really nice person and yeah. she comes across that way. But like on the main roster, like like I don't know. I'm just not like maybe it's the nostalgia thing and like because the NXT crowd is definitely from the main the main roster crowd, but yeah. like they're she just doesn't seem as likable, like Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I 
I don't know. I like I like Bailey fine. I just it, I I just I'm not interested in the whole situation that they have going on there with three horsewomen just having an endless <laughs> series of matches with each other. I guess now that Charlotte's gone, that'll change up a bit, and they're obviously not doing the Bailey Sasha match not yet anyway. So that opens up some new challengers at least for. Bailey, they've got Emma on there, Evil Emma's on the show, they've got Nia Jax, I guess, but they already went down that road. Uh, they've got some new women there, Mickey James on there, Alexa Bliss, so there's no shortage of new faces for Bailey to mix it up with, so. And Alexa Bliss, I'm sure, would be a great opponent for Bailey, because she's pretty much the antithesis of the Bailey character. I love Alexa Bliss so much. Yeah, she's excellent. She's phenomenal. But anyway, we'll move on from this women's match here. They have All the Hall of Famers out next, and they broke the. The 32-0 streak of Harry Finkel, nowhere to be seen on the show. The Fink's first ever miss of a WrestleMania, which is pretty devastating, I must say. Yeah. I was I was very upset to not see the Fink right there, but I don't know. He, I guess the Fink's not, he's not feeling too well these days. He's, I mean, at WrestleMania last year, we were in attendance. He needed help in and out of the ring when he did the Hall of Fame announcements that day. He, I mean, he can barely move on his own fire anymore, so... More legend. Yeah. Hopefully everything's alright with Harry Finkel, and hopefully he makes it back for WrestleMania 34. I would love to see him in New Orleans if we're there, but... Um, next yeah. match. Uh, this, uh, oh, it's yeah, so funny. I, I, I skipped off over the fact that Kurt Angle came out in front of the live crowd and got a fucking humongous You Suck chant. And rightfully well, so. It was amazing. How wonderful. And they had a great shot of from behind him with the entire stadium just going nuts. Great moments, great WrestleMania moment to see Kurt out there in front of the, the live crowd again. It'd be fun to see Kurt Angle versus Triple H next year. He <laughs> <laughs> um, joked, but I don't, I don't put it past them. And I'm sure Triple H will go over in that match. Ah, uh, dear. But yeah, then you move on to the ladder match. Um, this is really funny because I don't like to read potential spoilers before pay-per-views. Oh, did, like, did you get the spoil for you? No, I didn't. Um, so I, I don't like to read any of the spoilers or anything like that, so I don't even know if this was all the spoilers, but my notes, it's so funny, I had such a, a rant about this, mm-hmm. I was like, why is this not on the pre-show? Um, well, I said, the stipulation shouldn't constitute the match. I was like, I, all I could think of was like when Big Show had that chair, or that uh, Steve Steps match or something. No, was against like, Eric Rowan? <laughs> yeah, classic. Because I was just thinking, like, you know, I, I it was so funny because I had this like whole thing where I was like, you know, the Hardys used ladders, the Dudley used, Dudleys used tables, you know, having been Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows hit people with ladders, just the the other dudes hit them with ladders, and then the third team hit them with ladders. Yeah. Like the gimmick shouldn't constitute the match, and I had this whole rant. And then it made so much perfect sense because it would have been great if the Dudleys came out actually instead of the Hardys. <laughs> that would have been such a would have been a great troll move to put out another tag team out there because they were trolling that it was going to be the new day anyway. So, uh, so let's see here. We had the club come to the ring. We had Cesaro and Sheamus come to the ring, and we had Enzo and Cass come to the ring. Enzo and Cass were very over, but not for too much longer. So the new day came out, teased that they might get into the match, and then. You know, I was up in the bathroom, actually, whenever this happened, so when I came down from the bathroom, I saw the Hardys making their way to the ring, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. There we go. I rewinded, I rewinded, obviously, and got 
you heard their pop, which was insane. Their video on YouTube has, I think it has over like 12 million or 15 million views last time I saw it. Wow. Which is pretty fucking nuts, so... Nice to see my party keeping his, uh, his yeah, streak. Yeah, he's got, he's got his hair there, so there was at least one streak that was intact <laughs> in WrestleMania. It was the streak in Matt Hardy's hair. Jeff Hardy came out as Jeff Hardy. He just seems to be Jeff Hardy. He's not playing the fucking Broken Mule or any other shit. Obsolete or deleted Jeff or whatever the fuck he's called. <laughs> I mean, he's he's just Jeff Hardy. Matt Hardy's just Matt Hardy, basically, but he's he's still doing the mannerisms of the deleted gimmick. He's still saying delete, the crowd's chanting delete. These guys were over as hell. It was great, it was a great moment to see. I mean, just think about where Matt Hardy was just like five or six years ago when he was like drunk driving every week. He got the shit kicked out of him by Alberto Del Rio, and then that was the last time I ever saw him on TV. That was actually, I think, his last match. In WWE, it was, it was one of Alberto's first matches, and they were trying to put him over pretty pretty big, so they had him beat Matt Hardy. Remember the last we ever saw him? That was like 2011. He went TNA. Didn't look too great in TNA. Reinvented himself, reinvented his character. Got over. Got over. He's one of the most over guys, probably the most over wrestler in the world right now. And that's, that's a great story. He's even more over than Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy's been more over than them than Matt for twenty years, and now Matt Hardy is the more popular of the two by leaps and bounds. Fair play. Good, good on Matt. I mean, I've always been a bigger Matt Hardy fan than a Jeff Hardy fan for some reason. So it is nice to see him come back here and basically uh, they reclaimed their their throne. They won the tag team titles their first match back, which Jeff is great. Swamp Jeff Hardy's a fucking maniac. Jumps off the top of the ladder. Through Seamus, uh, no sorry, through, yeah, through Cesaro, Seamus just kind of got some legs brushed across his, his uh, chest there and then he rolled off the ladder, which is kind of funny. <laughs> the ladder broke, Cesaro's ladder broke, Seamus is dead. Matt Hardy hit up his fate for the win, yeah. and then he climbed the ladder. Climbed the ladder, pulled down the titles. It was nice that they gave Matt Hardy the opportunity to climb the titles down. I guess he kind of had to because Jeff is dead. <laughs> But yeah, the Hardy Boys are the new tag team champions, so... At this stage, the show's looking brilliant. Like, yeah, the show's been uh, been pretty good up until this point. Um, and then we get to Cena, the main events. John Cena, Nikki Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. Um, I mean, this match... This is one of those matches that is it's all in the build. It has nothing to do with the actual match. It's all to do with the match hype and the promos leading up to it, and the video packages and everything, and all the other stuff. And also the post-match. Yeah. The actual match itself was completely... Not unnecessary, but... It was it, a foregone conclusion, yeah, right? Um, it didn't matter. The Miz has been superb. Yeah. He's been awesome. I have to go his gimmick, his gimmick. He's been awesome for, like, the last six months. Whenever he did that whole pro... Like you said, the promo leading up to it, where it was like he was playing John Cena in John Cena's house... That was hilarious. Yeah, um, this has been doing some great skits lately as John Cena. Phenomenal stuff. Um, and we got played Maurice as well. You can't discount Maurice. Maurice has oh, been yeah, Maurice, excellent. Maurice has been excellent as well. And you got to benefit, the whole world got to benefit from Jared King Lawler's brilliant commentary. Yeah. And his sexism, where he <laughs> said, Maurice made Miz a millionaire. He was a multi-millionaire. Before he knew, <laughs> um, 
What a confusing. That's a good joke. Though. What a dick. Like, the I, king I is... That's the king. He's, that's his jokes. He's still using the same jokes. He was in 1995, so... Um, it's a different world, but, you know, God bless the king. Do you notice that... Uh, long may he reign. You notice that the Miz is... The was Miz. this the only match that Lawler called, actually, on the show? Yeah. Did they just <laughs> get him for this one match? Yeah. This, like, eight-minute match? Did you notice that the Miz and Reese came down to Miz's music, but Nikki got her own music come down to? I don't think Reese has music, though. She has music. Well, she had music, like, you know, six, seven years ago when she was an active performer, but she doesn't use that music anymore. Yeah, she doesn't wrestle. Nothing because yeah, she doesn't wrestle. But like, she's yeah, just, just a, she's a ballet. Nikki's gets her own down. The crowd going crazy for Miz. Yeah, the crowd were very much in his corner. They booed uh, the shit out of Al Roker as well, which is kind of funny. What about that? This is another fantastic piece of commentary from the from the King. He insinuates that Maurice had an affair. Yeah, he that, said that meet that Miz. So that Maurice would meet Miz with sexy lingerie. Petty, she was coming home. Yeah. The king, like... I don't know. How does he get away with the stuff that he I says? He's the king. He's he's like JBL. He's got a job for life there. He's been employed in WWE for fucking longer than we've been alive, so... He can do whatever he wants. He can go out there and crack jokes. Um, they're not they're not harmful jokes. Like, he's just... He's just using the same... He probably just goes on Google, looks up dumb jokes, and then sends them on the air. It was really awkward when he would make jokes about Kelly Kelly, though. Yeah, that was really awkward. Um, he's he's it, he's single-handedly ruining their attitudes towards women that they're trying to proliferate with this whole four four horsewoman thing. Another cracker during the match was um, Miz asked, "What for this?" Miz asked for breakfast in me- in bed, and Marie said, "Sleep in the kitchen," as if it's like the woman's job to bring breakfast in bed. I think, um, you, I think you may be reading a little too much into the, the king's jokes here. Fantastic king. Uh, it's just the king. But anyway, so we had Cena and Nikki win, obviously, with the FU and <laughs> the Rack Attack 2.0. This was such a dominant performance from the Miz and Reese, though. Yeah. They, like, out of the eight minutes, literally... They took about seven and a half minutes. Just completely owning. And then Cena and Nikki did their finishes. I mean, Nikki couldn't really do much, though, because I'm pretty sure she was hurting a lot. Her neck's pretty fucked up. JBL described Miz as a modern-day Gregory Peck. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear that? I did. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what the similarities are between the Miz and Gregory Peck, but, you know, I'm not going to discount that man's great knowledge, so... Um, so, yeah, they win, Maybe no and then one of the subplots, obviously, was was he going to propose, or wasn't he going to propose? Yeah, he did. He did. He proposed... Did you notice that the crowd just, it's just going to be really awkward here, they didn't really know what to do, because it's like, like you know, we want to be John Cena, but like, it's something really just awkward. Could you yeah. It well, wasn't really proposing, I mean, I'm no. pretty sure he proposed Nicky Bella probably months ago. No, I know, but like, the crowd just seemed awkward. It seemed like the crowd just didn't really know what to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah. Fair enough, it's, like, it's what do you John do? Proposing? They're obviously... They're going to boo John Cena. Everybody boos John Cena. It's a running joke at this point. Honestly, I thought the segment was great. I thought that Cena had a very nice proposal. I mean, it felt nice. I liked it. I'm not going to lie. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I thought it was fine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, fair enough. Good, um, good for John Cena and Nikki Bella to get uh, get married. And nice little promo that John Cena cut. 
I wonder if um, Hollywood, I'm sure, is going to be knocking on his door. I wonder if him and uh, Nikki Bella will have a wedding ceremony similar to Lita and Kane. Mm. You know, that's a thing as well. They might actually. I don't know if they would do. The, they either got to do the wedding on Total Divas or going to do it at SummerSlam. And I don't know where. Either probably way. on Total Divas. Uh, moving on this one, I suppose. Um, for me, this was the match of the night. I know people got really bored with this. Um, some like you say that I was actually about to say this is the most boring match on the show. It's funny, yeah. I know, like a lot of people were really bored with it. I really enjoyed it, and it's yeah. weird because we were at WrestleMania last year, <laughs> and a lot of the stuff I've been reading is a lot of people saying this was really similar to the Roman Reigns match, of like it I... being just way too long and Triple H like methodically working over a body part. Now. I haven't rewatched WrestleMania 32 no. since we were there, so I can't really comment on this. And sure uh, we'll, I think we we'll were comment all, on it soon. We were all too busy booing Roman Reigns to actually That's care a, about. That was a great match to be in attendance for. Yeah, just the sheer atmosphere, the the level of vitriol the people had towards Roman Reigns in that stadium is. Pre- I'm pretty sure probably as bad as it was on Raw the next night, but we'll get into that later um, on. Great. So I, we're gonna have to. Might as well go from the top here. Are so we, Triple Hitch versus Seth Rollins, who was uh, Rollins was injured before this match. The whole story leading up to the match was that Rollins' knee was fucked. What do you think of the storyline? Of it leading up to this match, the actual storyline, or yeah. just the story of the match? The storyline. Uh, <coughs> I mean, I kind of feel bad for them. Obviously, this was the match that was supposed to happen at last year's WrestleMania. They got fucking shafted on that, but it was a real lack of creativity because. They started the storyline the night after SummerSlam, whenever, obviously, Triple H turned on Seth Rollins. He pedigreed him, let Kevin Owens win the title, la-di-da, and then they just did absolutely nothing for, like, four months while Rollins just kind of twisted in the wind and looked like a fucking idiot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's their bad. They really only promoted this match for, like, the last four weeks of TV. And uh, I don't know. It wasn't, same wasn't great stuff. Wasn't Really, I really enjoyed the storyline. Like, I mm-hmm. I didn't like that. Yeah, the the amble kind of in the autumn where nothing was really happening with Seth Rollins, but leading up to it, um, the few weeks beforehand and stuff, I thought that this was the whole fact that it didn't happen last year. I kind of bought into that. Um, like, I thought this was the redemption story done right. Like, they love their redemption stories and they love their fucking Roman Reigns redemption stories. Of course, but. With this, like, both guys, first of all, I love both Seth Rollins and Triple H, and I just thought that they t- the promos leading up to the match really showed how Seth Rollins was trying to rediscover himself. That kind of reference to him as a conniving heel beforehand mm. re- really was a very good contrast to... I remember he gave a promo and he said, like, you know, I used to... Love having, you know, just wrestling for $30, you know, a hot dog and a handshake. And, like, re- referencing those older days yeah. of Seth Rollins and the independent scene and stuff like that. I thought that all that stuff was really great because so often, I think, when they're trying to do a redemption thing, they, they're, they like pick and choose things. This nearly chronicled Seth Rollins' whole career, you know, from I think when, when he worked as, like, in independence and stuff, smaller yeah. arenas to bigger arenas, to turning on the shield. Like, I just thought, storyline-wise, it was really, really great. 
Well, I think that the storyline in and of itself was a good idea. I just don't think the way they handled it was very good with the massive gap of story in between. And just the fact that Triple H basically came out on top and every single encounter made Rollins look like a fucking imbecile. And I guess you could say that it was all building up to this moment where Triple H, or where Rollins got his revenge on Triple H. But I mean, like, was there really any need for Triple H to be basically the babyface in this feud? Because he's the one who called out Seth Rollins. He's the one who demanded that it be a match, like a non-sanctioned match. Triple H was really the one who was booked out. And in the video package as well, they're making Triple H out to be this complete badass, this unstoppable monster. Oh, you know, oh, don't, don't fucking, you know, fuck with Triple H. He's trying so hard not to be the guy that he used to be, and he's going to come fucking retire the shit out of you. They really kind of, I don't know. Uh, he lost in the end, so I guess it doesn't really matter. I, I, I think it does, but you know, some people are willing to kind of give Triple H a pass on this stuff because he's a midlife crisis kind of guy. <laughs> I suppose this can is... Triple H ever, by the way? Can he just walk to the ring? Can we just have one WrestleMania where this guy just fucking walks to the ring? Does he always have to have a fucking elaborate entrance? And I'm sure people always defend Triple H by saying, "Well, you know, Triple H, he has the elaborate entrances, but at the end of the day, he puts over the guy. He puts over the guy at the end, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he has a good entrance. It doesn't matter if his entrance looks Seth, makes Seth Rollins look like a fucking like a primary school play. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Rollins beat him. And I'm like, okay, well, what about that time where he completely made Sting look like a fucking joke? Sting came out with a, a Chinese guy playing the drums, and Triple H had fucking the Terminator and gigantic statues and shit in his entrance. No, but Sting's old though, so it doesn't matter. Whatever, fucking people literally will bend over backwards to defend Triple H, but I think whatever. Um, I guess people people of our age kind of grew up with Triple H, and they kind of. I mean, I remember growing up with Triple H. He was like the Genghis Khan of the <laughs> He was just this unstoppable emperor. So I don't have very fond memories. It's kind of like living under a dictator. So I don't really. <laughs> Look back on those days and be like, man, what a what a great time to grow up as a fan when Triple H beat all of my favorite wrestlers and I had to watch SmackDown because I was so fucking depressed by Raw every week. And then he went and had a reign of terror on SmackDown. Ah, uh, yeah, like a two week reign of terror on SmackDown, and then he got traded back for like five guys because that's what Triple H is worth. <laughs> Triple H is worth like three guys. Just Triple H on his own is worth the Dudley Boys plus Booker T. You really do hate Triple H? No, I love Triple H. I think he's a great performer. Most of the time, when he's motivated to do so, I think it's funny though that like of the three Shield guys he's wrestled, the only one he's had like a really good match with, I think, would be Rollins or uh, would be Ambrose. I think the match that they had at whatever the fucking network special was, what was it called, Fast Lane End of the Line or some shit like that. Roadblock. End of the Roadblock. Line. Yeah, you got it. Roadblock. That's that's the the dirty title match they had was probably the best one that he had with. Uh, obviously, it was better than the one, the one with Reigns, from what I can remember, anyway. And I'd say it probably would be better. It was a lot... It was tighter than the one he had with Rollins. Like, this is more like... This was a kind of a psychology-based match. And it had its its ups and downs. It felt like it was about half an hour long. I think that's one of the problems, is that Triple H's matches are... Obviously, he's supposed to be very methodical, but he he spent so long working on the knee, in a, in a on a pre-established knee injury, that you could have spent like half the time on it. People got the point of the knee. You don't have to keep going after it for that long. Also, by the way, I should probably just explain Triple H's entrance was him on a series of motorbikes being led to the ring by cops. 
What was the point of that? I don't know, because Is this I like, thought it was a terrible entrance. I thought I actually said quite understated by his standards. Yeah, by um, his usual his usual <laughs> gigantic thrones or terminators or Stephanie McMahon becoming like a fucking evil monster and giving a like a twenty minute promo. A bit of Alexa Bliss and Charlotte. Yeah, um, all the oh, that was a cool entrance, so that was the that one was that was one of the ones that I think actually was really good. Most of the Triple H's entrances are pretty embarrassing, I think, but I, I'd, like, I'd say this is probably one of the more understated, but also kind of a cringy one. I don't know. Like, um, was it supposed to reflect? I don't know. Did they, did they still reference the authority? He's he's, I don't know. Like, did they, but like, is it three badass? Are they not like? Is it not one of those filmic cliche tropes that, like, if you're a badass, you're like anti-authority and anti-establishment, um, and like the police are like. The very embodiment of the establishment, or like maybe he because he's the head of the authority, then he is the establishment. I don't know what they're. I don't know. I don't know. With Triple H's character of recent years has kind of straddled the line because he just kind of goes back and forth between being the authority figure and being himself, the normal Triple H. But whatever. I mean, you know, I'm not Max Landis, I guess, so I can't understand the nuances of Triple H's. Incredibly confusing identity crisis. Maybe that is his character that he's having an identity crisis. He can't seem to decide if he wants to be Triple H or if he wants to be Vince McMahon 2.0. I I said that I would love it if uh, said this for WrestleMania 31, but I would be phenomenal if Triple H came out as um, Paul Levesque, the fucking <laughs> French aristocrat. Uh, was that? Jean-Paul Levesque? Jean-Paul, sorry. Jean-Paul Levesque. The mean Gene! That would be... And if he came out and faced Surfer's thing... That would be great. That would have been great. But, yeah. um, uh, alas... Anyway, he worked on his knee. Yeah. Rollins collapses when he's about to do a firebomb. Bit of the knee. You know, good here on the next story, but, yeah, I get what you're saying. Could have done it in half the time because it was really that bad. Then by this stage, Rollins shouldn't be able to stand. Um, yeah, I said, um, why isn't... Stephanie McMahon pushing Rollins over the rope. Oh, uh, yeah. Stephanie McMahon, the fucking Gemma Teller of WWE. Uh, so, we had fucking <laughs> Stephanie McMahon outside the ring, not really doing a whole lot of much. I don't know. Like, this is an unsanctioned match, and she, yeah, she she didn't do anything? Well, she did. She got she factored into the end of the match, and I'm yeah. pretty sure she... Did she pull a weapon out of Rollins' hand at some point, or something? Something to kind of tilted in Triple H's favour. Obviously, this was all just build until the sledgehammer came out, to be honest. She did push him off the rope at one stage. Yeah. Which is oh, yeah, she was. fucking yanked his knee across the rope, and that's what uh, led Triple H to just getting back into things. Sledgehammer pedigree. came out. Rollins kicked out of the pedigree, which was pretty cool. Uh, he did a Phoenix Splash, which, for a guy with a broken yeah, knee, yeah. you would think that would probably be something that he wouldn't be able to pull off, but, you know, good for Rollins, I guess. Uh... <laughs> Second pedigree counters. Yeah, yeah, a lot of counters, and then you had uh, Stephanie McMahon went through a table, which was wonderful. Stephanie, I think um, if we were to talk about Dean Ambrose and Dirty Deeds being most protected move in the WWE, then Stephanie McMahon has to be most protected by far. By far, she gets her comeuppance once a year. Every Uh, every WrestleMania, Stephanie will get her comeuppance. I hope actually that's not even that's not even untrue. I hope though that WrestleMania thirty, she got knocked off the apron by Brian. Thirty one, she got beat up by Ronda Rousey or Armwhipped or some shit like that. 
32, she got speared by Roman Reigns, which was the, for three seconds, Roman Reigns was very over, and then people went back to booing him, obviously, and then this year she went through a team. I hope this is something they're not going to continue with, though. Like, it's mean, going to be like uh, every Triple H match at WrestleMania is going to involve Stephanie taking a bump, going to the yeah, finish or something. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, like, I'm, cl- I'm always glad to see Stephanie get hurts. <laughs> the character of Stephanie McMahon, obviously. I'm sure she's a wonderful human being. But like it fitted she's this a match. fucking horrible character. Like I'm it, glad to see her get her ass kicked whenever like, it does come. But it fitted this match really, really well. Yeah. One of but these like, days, I just though, hope that yeah, it doesn't become. A one really of these good. days, they need to have Stephanie have a, a WrestleMania match though, and she needs to get her ass kicked by one of the women on the roster. I loved it. Could have been shorter, but yeah. And it was it was fine. It was nice. The Rollins got his moment over Triple H in the end, and uh, no Samoa Joe, which is very weird. For an unsanctioned match, it was probably the tamest unsanctioned match I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, Buttons really didn't factor out until like the last couple months either, so... I mean, I guess it was just Triple H kicking ass for I like suppose Triple minutes. H used the chair on Rollins' knee. Yeah, oh, that's right, he did, he did climb an eyes on at one point, so... Um... Was that. Then, of course, we need to let out some steam after such a match, so of we course, have Pitbull tearing the house down. Yep, you need to you need to relax and just have a just have a good wee day after that, just like a wee chill out time. So, best thing to do at that point is to bring out Pitbull, Flo Rida, and some fat guy to sing an annoying song. Annoying. <laughs> lunch money. Actually, a lunch money is his name. Yeah, it's an ironic name. But yeah, they sang a wee song. They had a wee. They had a, They did a wee ditty and. Flo Rida is the man. He, he's giving everybody the green light, the uh, green light to go ahead and watch this fantastic match between Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. I said, looking up at another very good storyline with the backdrop. <laughs> Not like, yeah, like I thought, like I mean, that it was kind of corny the way they was like it's right time to screw him. Yeah, but like I like the idea of well, it. Did, you know, like Randy Orton lighting the shack on fire and then doing his douche pose as it burned to the ground. Um, I thought it was tremendous. But no, like, I enjoyed the storyline of this. I said it's nice to see how far Bray Wyatt has come since being the plot of the Rocks joke last year. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the actual match, though? Well, before we get to that, are you not going to bring up the thing that Randy Orton was annoyed about, about his entrance? I don't even know what you're talking about. Was it the stupid snake? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looked fucking awful. He said that it looked like a sperm. It looked like the snake from... Snakes in a Flame? No, no, it looked even worse than that. It looked like the snake from uh, Friday the 13th, part 9, Jason Goes to Hell. It was like stuttering, the snake was stuttering its way up. It was, it looked awful. I thought initially, right, the worms on the ring were really cool. Initially, like, <laughs> no, like, no at the very start. <laughs> the first time they did that, I was like, that's pretty cool. If that led into the finish, like, straight away, like, mm-hmm. I get that. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. But then, um, the match, I wanted the very end of this match, maybe they had their time cut, because this was a really, really weird match. I don't think that it had anything to do with the time, I think the match was just fucking garbage. Yeah, it was really bad. This was one of the worst WWE title matches they've done at WrestleMania. I'd say it's the worst one they've done since John Cena versus The Miz. So what is that, like six years now? I don't know, like, John Cena The Miz, at least, like, that little match was okay. No, no, it wasn't. They had a shit match, and then fucking 
either John Cena or the Miz got concussed. I'm pretty sure the Miz got completely KO'd halfway through that match. At least you had the Rock there. And the Rock this, came up. This yeah. match was really, really. But that, it, that was even worse <laughs> because that had the added context of being the actual legitimate WrestleMania main event. This was just a match in the middle of the show that had the title on the line between Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Orton did an RKO outside the ring, which got a polite golf clap from the first two rows. I guess they just didn't have it up on the screen, maybe? Because why would nobody react to that? That was really early in the match as well. It was? Sister Abigail. Sister Abigail, he hit Bray at that in the kickout. I said that uh, dumb bullshit with fucking maggots and worms more more and maggots again. Like I said, like the first time I thought it was pretty cool. If know. if that led into Bray Wyatt winning, that would have been so cool. I mean, like it would have made sense with the whole psychological thing. I don't think it would have been cool under any circumstance. I thought it was just like when I saw it, I laughed because I thought it was like the corniest shit I've ever seen. And not even good corny, like Randy Orton burning shacks to the ground, because at least in the universe of WWE, that makes sense. Like, you can burn a shack to the ground, and I guess you wouldn't get done for arson. Whatever, that's fine. What In what context does this work? So does Bray Wyatt go to, like, Kevin Dunn behind the scenes, and he's like, hey, do you want to play some weird footage that I shot on my GoPro of maggots? play from the top and spook everybody. At the same time, though, if you're taking that line, then you can be like, what about when Undertaker has his thunder? His thunder that he has whenever he raises his hands yeah. and stuff? Yeah. Like, I can see why... The Undertaker's magic, though? It was, like, pretty well, it's supposed to be, like, kind of supernatural. Yeah, I, I don't think, think, like... I don't know, like, I, I think mean, it is... If there was maggots, <laughs> if there were actual maggots there, that would have been fine, but it was clearly, like, a hologram. <laughs> Like even in the, the, even in the context of the match, it was clearly like a hologram. It wasn't like I don't know, whatever. I just thought it was stupid. And the, also, I think the Undertaker gets a pass because that's a character that was created in 1990. <laughs> Bray Wyatt's. I mean, I don't mind Bray Wyatt being magical and all that stuff and having that shit, but in the middle of a fucking WWE title match, you you, don't, you can't get away with this shit. In, if they in did. the main event or the SmackDown main event of WrestleMania, I guess it was. If they did that and it like. Had been not like that it genuinely affected Randy Orton, but like if it just had it annoyed been, him, like spooked him or something. He was rolling his eyes. He was just like, "What the hell was that?" And he was confused. And then he had the sister Abigail for the wedding. I'd be like, "That's perfectly okay." But so like they overdone it. It was really weird. Yeah. I said weird match. Maybe their time was cut. And then Randy Orton, no. Randy Orton hit the RKO in one, started nowhere. Like. What was the point of this? This is know. this is like the the sting thing. Obviously not the same degree, like, but like, uh, have been Randy Orton, or has already had his revenge? But like, have been burning mm-hmm. Bray Wyatt's like, sister Abigail's bones or whatever. I mean, Bray Wyatt has a nothing on Randy Orton, and then he goes to the match, and then he meets him again. I mean, maybe Bray Wyatt should have spent more time learning RKO counters instead of browsing stock footage websites, but. Whatever, that's that's his loss, and Bray uh, Wyatt's 0-3, he's the reverse Undertaker, <laughs> he's got a perfect losing streak at WrestleMania. I'm, so, I'm sad for Bray Wyatt, because I feel like I really like him. Like I like Bray Wyatt, but I don't cry for Bray Wyatt, he, he goes in there at WrestleMania, he's wrestled John Cena, the Undertaker, and Randy Orton at WrestleMania, and he had a segment with The Rock last year, so it's not like he's in the fucking Andre Battle Royal, there are worse spots for him to find himself in, even if he does keep getting his ass kicked every year. 
And also the idea of Randy Orton as champion again. <laughs> Ugh, the mind boggles. I mean, whatever. I'm sure he'll have some good matches with AJ Styles and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Nakamura and all those other guys on SmackDown, but whatever. Also, is Randy Orton a face for you? Uh, I don't know. I guess he... It, I think it would be good if he kind of straddled the line, because I don't think Orton's a very good face. He's got no charisma. So maybe if he was more of kind of like a face, but also kind of an asshole... That would be fine. And then that would kind of open them up to facing guys like, like Sami Zayn, for example, or other dating faces like Nakamura. Yeah, just keep him as a tweener. Because he'd come across as kind of a dick anyway, so... Yeah. But, yeah, whatever. He burns shacks to the ground, that's what he does. He's Randy Orton, the arsonist. Also, did you notice they had, like, a little throwback to his old pyro? He had, like, the, the golden showers? Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. If you were to build a sports entertainer from the front of Yeah. Is that just like uh, Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar? Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice that Brock Lesnar threw his hat into the crowd? What a baby face this man is. Yeah. Um, well, he was up now all he needs to do is stop telling people that he doesn't give a shit about their kids. Um, he threw his hat into the crowd. I said, it's funny because when you make the notes known you're watching the show, uh-huh. and then you eat some afterwards and your notes sound really stupid. Yeah. I said, maybe it's the stadium being like an open air, but the crowd's too uninterested in Goldberg. <laughs> I don't know about I don't think people no. liked Goldberg at all. Uh, but yeah, people, I think he, like, I don't know, I think people liked Goldberg, and then he came out and he was like, I've been miserable ever since I came yeah. back. I mean, I'm, and like, there's like, yeah. like, like again, you know, it's hypocritical because I mean, I'm not a wrestler, but like, there's certain dudes in there. Like, when Dean Ambrose and stuff, wrestling, like, six nights a week. And, I mean, like, Goldberg's there to wrestle, like, four matches. In fairness. Three matches in, like, six months. And he's talking about, it's, like, it's miserable because I have to wake up and train and stuff. He does, though. Like, I know he's older, and I get that. To be fair to Goldberg, I'm sure he feels an immense pressure to keep himself in roughly the same shape that he was 20 years ago. I mean... Like you say, he's an old, he's a, he's a fucking older guy. Like, you'd think that this would be the kind of years where he can sit back and relax. And I'm sure he's not the sort of guy who would want to go in there and look like The Undertaker does right now, where he's got a fucking belly hanging out, and he can't move for shit, and he just looks awful. Goldberg probably wants to go in there and look exactly like he did in 1997, except I guess now he has a grey beard instead of a black one. So, I mean, you know, I can understand where he's coming from. But... Yeah, he doesn't... Probably not a good idea to say much it. like. Uh, I mean, yeah. I respect his honesty, if nothing else. Um, but yeah. Anyway, this so match, cards uh, on the table. This was the best match of the night. I loved it. This is my favorite match at WrestleMania. This match was surprisingly good. I thought it was <laughs> astonishing. Uh, I thought it was excellent. Three Germans. Mm-hmm. Spear. Spear through Barcade. Spear. Jackhammer. Leapfrog. Seven Germans, F5 for the win. That's, That's all she wrote. Four minutes and 46 seconds this match lasted, and every second of it was golden. I fucking loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the fact that Brock was clearly the more over of the two. He got cheered. Goldberg got booed. I just I like Brock Lesnar, so I was very happy to see him over on this match. Fucking that 
leap that he did over Goldberg. I mean, it looked like he kind of need Goldberg in the head, so I hope he didn't get concussed or anything, but that was a pretty epic moment. Goldberg had the spear and the jackhammer on Brock. There was a nice near fall there where I think people were genuinely convinced that it was over, which is great. That's the sort of thing that you should be doing because, I mean, Goldberg's been booked unusually strongly. He's the most, well, I mean, other than Stephanie McMahon, I guess, he's the most well-protected guy on that on that roster. And he ended up getting his ass kicked. He got a bunch of German suplexes. He took a lot of them as well. And he seemed to be fine. He came out raw the next night. He wasn't, like, lumping or anything. He didn't, by all accounts, he wasn't injured or anything. Which is pretty shocking, because I could have sworn all my life that Goldberg would almost certainly have gotten injured on the, in this match. But, I mean, they, they pulled it together, and they ended up having a, a great WrestleMania match. And Brock won with the F5, and he's now the Universal Champion for likely the next year. Um, I thought, like, for someone that didn't, who couldn't have cared less about this match mm-hmm. beforehand, it ended up being very good, and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't go as far as saying it was my favourite on the show, but I thought... They did everything that they should have done with the match. Yeah, like they absolutely. kept it short. Yep. They had they had the spirit of the barcade. They kept it short, but not too short. They had like the, not like Goldberg's other matches where it's just two moves. Yeah, they had a lot of variety in there. Brock did all of his all three has moves. Goldberg did all three has moves. They went outside. They, they Brock got speared through the barricade at one point. It was just a perfect match. Everything about it. It was, was a good. perfect match for those two guys, yeah. Yeah, it was a perfect match for, under the circumstances. This is exactly the sort of match these guys should be having. If you said, book me a match between Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, what you think it should look like, this is exactly the match I would give you. Not too short, not too long. Just about five minutes in length. A lot of big spots, a lot of finishing moves, a couple of different kickouts. And Brock wins in the end. And uh, did you notice that he gave a final fist bump? Brock? Yeah. Did you notice this? No. You know, whenever he was leaving the ring, he gave a final fist bump. Good for Brock. Maybe so, he is a baby fist So he's thrown his hat to the crowd and he's given a final I mean, fist bump. He's going up against Roman at WrestleMania next year, so I'm pretty sure he's going to find himself the crowd favorite in that one as well. So, uh, yeah, fair enough. Like, good match. Uh, Enjoyable stuff. And good luck to Brock Lesnar. I'm sure he'll have a long reign. Not just because he's going to defend his championship successfully, but because he's probably only going to have to defend it three times between now and next year. Um, yeah. Uh, Nick Mack was the SmackDown, SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, I said, what's up with Becky's makeup? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on with, with any of this stuff, really. It was just a, a lot of moves happened, and then Naomi won. Alex and Bliss tapped did, out. Did you see that? I said that Naomi's submission looked really comfortable. I thought it looked pretty, pretty brutal. I thought it was a... It was like, it looks like a nice stretch there. But like, you know, <laughs> I wasn't in it, so I don't know. But like, yeah, fair enough. Naomi won. Happy for her, like, her home state and all that. I guess, I wonder if the outcome would have been any different if she had... Been holding been, the championship? Yeah, if she came months. in as the champion instead of as the challenger. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, probably not. If if their plans were to move Alexa to Raw, they probably would have just had Naomi retain the title. But, you know, we'll see what's happening anyway with the, uh, the SmackDown Women's Division. It looks pretty strong now that they've got Charlotte on there. We had the official attendance. <laughs> yeah, the official attendance. Do you have it written down? 75,245. Hey, that's, I can't remember if that's bigger or smaller than the number they gave the last time they were in the Citrus Bowl, but... 
If I had to make a guess, I would say they probably blew out their old attendance, because that's what they like to do. Well, they said that they made a new Citrus Bowl attendance record. I want to see what the attendance was for uh, New Orleans in 2014, and then see if they break that next year. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they will. Uh, they'll, just, they'll just put two more seats in there, and then they'll be like, yeah, we just set another record here. At the Superdome, brother. Um... Then we had our main event of the evening, and rightly so that this went on last, I thought. Yeah, this was... Uh, this was... Pinker's last match, sadly. Possibly. I'm going to go out there and say it was. I mean, I assume it probably was the Undertaker's last match. Who knows what's going to happen. But fair enough, you know, he's going out against the best guy that they have and the top guy in the company, so... Fair enough, like... Um, Undertaker versus Roman Reigns with Jim Ross on commentary. Yeah. And randomly announced as a no holds barred match. Yeah, it so feels. That, uh, Roman could kick the shit out of him with a chair for five minutes. Yeah, I said, like, it, the whole video package here felt like a, a swan song for The Undertaker. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, Jarrett calls the match. It's very excited by the, by the time the guys come down. Uh, I didn't watch WrestleMania live. For various reasons, but uh, did you watch it live? Yeah, I watched um, it as it aired. I wonder, have you went back to watch this match or anything? I wonder no, if they muted the booze because I'm too, like, I'm too sad to watch it. Because back. I like watched it and there were definitely booze for Roman Reigns, but I was expecting more, so I'm assuming they muted the booze. I don't know, I think people were just fucking exhausted by the time. I know I was, ex- I wanted to go to bed. This match didn't come on until after 4 a.m. I mean, this is. You talk about going late. This show went fucking late. It actually went across midnight over in America, so it's the first WrestleMania to ever go past two days. Or I guess past a day. Into the second day. Uh, so yeah, they had... Uh, it was pretty smart, actually, that they started The Undertaker out mid-ramp. Yeah. They came up through the ramp halfway there, and I was like, well, fucking, they did it. They really outsmarted me on that one there. Yeah. Because I thought the Undertaker was going to take about 20 minutes to get to the ring. Probably only took him about 10, so that was a smart decision there. Roman Reigns... It's good that JR is as a commentator, because he actually likes to call the moves. Yeah. Which is nice, like, noting the prominence of the headbutt by Roman Reigns. Of course. Samoans and their headbutts. Yeah. You know, Jim Ross was out there calling me what could be the Undertaker's last match. Jim Ross went on Twitter and said that it was the Undertaker's last match. I don't know. I don't know. It probably is the last match of The Undertaker. Who knows? They haven't really given any kind of indication that one way or the other that it is. They have Michael Cole go out there on Raw and say what could be The Undertaker's last match or what was possibly The Undertaker's last match. So they seem to be leaving the door open. If Undertaker, I'm sure if Undertaker in January calls up Vince and says, listen, I'm fine, let's do one more match in New Orleans, maybe they're just they're open to leaving the door. I, if this isn't the Undertaker's last match, it's his second last match. He's either retiring next year in New Orleans, or he already is retired. Who does he go against next year? If if he is having a match next year, it has to be John Cena. And I think John Cena is like at that point where the Undertaker could win that match and retire with a win. But yeah, if this is the Undertaker's last match, it was a sad way for the Undertaker to go out, but... One of the dull retirement, John Cena. John Cena's not even close to retiring. He's going to be there for years to come. He'll just be in between acting gigs every now and then. Anyway, like the did you notice, uh, first thing of note, other than that, the JR calling the headbutts was, I noted the Roman Reigns spear, 
Undertaker from one table to another. Yeah. Um, for the life of me, like, I, you know, I understand that they need to smoke and merge with these matches, but for the life of me, I don't understand how they can help, like, the older guys take the bumps that they do. Like, whenever they had Sting flipping, taking the stuff that he did, like, yeah. through a table and stuff, I was like, guys, what are you doing? Like, well, like I understand the smoke and merge, but, you know. I mean, the table stuff wasn't even anything that bad for Sting. It was the the fucking turnbuckle power bombs that did him in the end. He was fine going for your nice tables and shit, so um, I'm sure Undertaker was more than happy to do as well, especially because this is his last match. I guess he'll be looking to pull out all the stops. Uh, he delivered a last ride during the match. He could barely get Roman Reigns up there. He just looked kind of bad. I mean, he looked better than he did at the Royal Rumble towards the start of the match, but towards the end of the match, he was not looking his his best. He was he used the chair on Roman. Yeah. Enough. Uh I thought like Roman was doing a lot of the work in the match, which is like, I mean he can't fair enough. Too. Like I thought that was very, very good. Two Superman punches down a choke slam on the chair, tombstone kick out. Mm-hmm. Uh did you notice this like reverse They had tried to reverse the tombstone and Roman couldn't get the Undertaker up because the Undertaker I guess couldn't jump for the for Roman. So they ended up trying to do the, the spot again, and it looked even worse. So Roman just said, fuck it, and gave him a Superman punch. This reminded me, in kind of like a full circle way, it reminded me of when The Undertaker <laughs> tried to chokeslam Hulk Hogan at Judgment Day, but Hogan was, like, too fucking old to do it, so The Undertaker had to basically deadlift him, and he got him maybe about a foot and a half off the ring ropes, or off the, the mats, and then it just looked fucking awful. So it's ironic that now... Fucking however many years later that is, what, like, 15 years later nearly? That's uh, the same same rules, but reversed here for The Undertaker. He can barely get himself off the off the mat. I guess that's when you know that you've got to hang it up. Whenever you can't even do the spots that you're assigned to do. Uh, you had the spear, which went under the Hell's Gate. Yeah. Which was a nice Why spot. was there a rope break, by the way, in this <laughs> match? This is a no holds bar match, and there was a fucking rope break? Like, what if... What? They do this shit all the time. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Like, uh, whatever. Um, whatever. They, there was a rope break because they needed a reason for the Undertaker to let Roman Reigns out of the Hell's Gate. So I thought I thought that Roman Reigns would have done this. Yeah, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Roman just power out of it? If the story of the match is that Roman Reigns is this big powerful fucker and the Undertaker is like an idiot bastard, then why wouldn't he just easily power out of it? Um, Roman Reigns uses the chair viciously. I was like kind of writhing myself. He beat the shit out of Undertaker with these chair shots. Whenever he started using it, I was like, this is really uncomfortable. Um, spear, near fall, third spear, kick Spear, 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 Superman punch, Superman punch, spear, 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 Superman punch, spear, Superman punch. What did the sit-up? Uh, failed sit-up. Ah, I nearly cried. That was the most fucking sad thing ever. I'm sure it was planned, obviously, to go down that way, but... I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if that's just how the Undertaker really felt. And then Undertaker got stood up. Spear. Roman that bounced off the rope twice and fucking annihilated him with a spear, pinned the Undertaker. I mean, I didn't even get upset by this. It felt like a long time coming. By the end, by the end of the match, I was just like, get it over with. I felt like the the crowd were nearly mournful throughout. I thought. Yeah, it felt like a funeral at the end. Like, yeah. I don't even think the crowd really booed when Roman got the win. It was just kind of more like a like a. Oh. It's but like it's not. I don't think it was. It wasn't apathy. Like 
No. It was like apathy. It was, apathy. It was just the, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I remember you said to me when you're, when we were at the post-media raw, seeing that Superman, that's like one of those weird experiences, like, you know, like, seeing a dictator or something, you know? But, like, it was one of those weird experiences where it seemed like everyone in the crowd, like I said, you know, it was billed as, like, a swan song, and everyone kind of knew what was coming, and it was very respectful and mournful yeah. throughout. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's weird because it's The Undertaker, and The Undertaker is, like, the one constant of everything. He's been in the company for fucking so many years now. He's been there since two the or 1990, so 27 years nearly that he's been there. Man, that's that's a long time to spend in one company. Never left, never jumped ship, never went to WCW, never really took any serious time off. Never missed really like a whole year of competition or anything like that. He took obviously a lot of time off here and there in between WrestleManias in later years. He was kind of off TV for a long time up until the actual event. And then he would come back. But, I mean, he's been at every WrestleMania now since 2000. He hasn't missed a single WrestleMania since WrestleMania 16. What an amazing performer, like. What a, what a consistent guy, like. And just... When you look at how much wrestling has changed in yeah. that time as well. Yeah, and The Undertaker himself. Like, Jericho is one of those guys who kind of always reinvents himself. But The Undertaker has been through so many gimmick overhauls. And I think, like, the fact that when they brought in Kane, The Undertaker character was already, like, what, seven or eight years old at that point? Yeah. Like, by the time they finally brought in the Kane character. So, I mean, think of how far back Kane goes in this company and realize that The Undertaker goes back eight years more than that. Nearly a decade, yeah. Nearly a decade already. I mean, and just going through all the stuff that he went through, he was the fucking Undertaker with the purple gloves, and all he do, all he did was choke people. He won the title. He went on to become Ministry Taker and Biker Taker and American Badass Taker and Big Evil, back to being the Dead Man. Going through all the other weird shit, he had his head shaved, and then he. Grew his hair back. He Joel, just, Jolly Hurt Taker. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Hurt, Johnny Johnny Keish Taker. Fucking just everything. And he's fucking been there. He's wrestled pretty much everybody in the company. He's been through everything. He's won everything. He's just one of those guys that you're always kind of like, I don't know, maybe some people would take him for granted, I guess. Because he's just always been there. You never really... And people have been talking about the Undertaker retiring now for fucking like over 10 years. Like, 10, 15 years, people are like, oh, this is going to be Undertaker's last match. It never really clicked with me that it would ever be the Undertaker's last match. And I still don't know if it actually has clicked with me, but this, until they announce that he's going into the Hall of Fame, I'm still not going to be able to really kind of come to terms with this being the Undertaker's last match. Because I just don't know. It's so, uh... Well, when when you think about all those reinventions, how he was able to make the character relevant... Like, there was, I don't remember really a stage where the people didn't care about the Undertaker. Yeah. People always cared about the Undertaker. Yeah, absolutely. Even whenever he was having feuds with the Great Kali and stuff. Yeah. He's just one of those guys who, you just kind of, every, everything kind of, like, even though he was never really the guy, or the main guy, like, in the company, he was never really that kind of guy that they positioned everything around. He was always around doing something. He's always been... I mean, ever since day one, he's always been in the top mix. Like, not even, like, Kane, where there's periods of Kane being just in the mid-card, or Comedy Kane, or doing nothing. Undertaker's always been up in that kind of upper echelon of big stars that they've had. 
So it's pretty insane to think how, how much stuff he's gone through. And I mean, hopefully he does go into the Hall of Fame next year. I, I think that would be a Hall of Fame speech to look out for there, because Undertaker barely ever does any interviews, and never really speaks out of character, so I think that would be something to look forward to. Did you notice as well, when you think about, <clears throat> you know, when guys talk, um, in interviews, wrestlers talk about chemistry, yeah. you know, you have chemistry with one guy, or you don't have chemistry with another, the fact that Undertaker's been able to maintain a chemistry with so many people, so many varied styles. I mean, the Undertaker's got so many legendary opponents, McFoley, Shawn Michaels, uh, I guess some people would probably say Triple H, but yeah, he's had some good matches with Triple H there. Uh, he's had great matches with Kane, Batista, Batista, Batista's another famous opponent of The Undertaker. He had some really good stuff with Rey Mysterio. Yeah, he, had, he did some good stuff with Rey Mysterio, he had matches with Randy Orton over the years, um, Edge, another yeah, Undertaker true. opponent there. And, I mean, just one of those guys who Especially even in, in later years. Brock Lesnar, another one as well. Big time uh, Undertaker rival there, but also one of those kind of ones where, like, I think everything after the Undertaker match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania kind of. Not that it went downhill, because I think the match we had with Bray Wyatt was alright. But it's just, you know, since the strike was broken, it's not been the same with Undertaker. I think that was kind of the real start of the end for the Undertaker. Do you think that the streak should have been broken? No, I don't think it should have been. I, I, I personally, I would have had the Undertaker defi- retire undefeated. That would have just been what I did. But you know, that's yeah, that's, that's just me. And I understand why they had Brock Lesnar defeat the Undertaker. And I don't even have a problem with it. I think it's fine. I think that they got a lot of mileage out of Monster Brock, and I'm sure they'll get even more out of him as the champion until he puts over Roman Reigns. So yeah, I mean. Whatever, it, it is what it is. I think it's it's fine. And I think it's a great WrestleMania moment that they did, but personally I wouldn't have ended the streak. I think it was it was just something that it, another thing that was just really consistent and always there that you kinda of took for granted. Yeah. I I don't I was really annoyed when they ended the streak at yeah. the time and uh oh, good and, up the back over and, and do that one. Still kind of I still feel the same I don't think we should have ended it. But if if it was his last match, I can see them why they would uh, they would end mm-hmm. with him losing his last match, which would make this match have more resonance probably. And also, when Vince McMahon did that podcast with Steve Austin, there was a stage where, you know, Vince McMahon said something to the effect of insinuating that it would be an Undertaker's style to go out with a loss. Yeah, I know a lot of. Wrestlers who know the Undertaker on a personal level have been saying for years before the streak was broken that Undertaker is the type of guy that would go out in that old-fashioned way of putting over a younger talent. Yeah. Which means which makes you just think: Imagine if he was going in twenty-four and to this match and lost to over twenty-four. There would be a fucking riot. Is what would have happened? There would have been yeah, um, but yeah, obviously it would have would have done that for Roman Reigns, but, you know, it, yeah, like you say, it's just, it's something that you never, even though it's talked about, you kind of feel like it's so talked about that it's never actually going to happen, but, like, he left his, took off his gloves, took off his hat, took off his cloak, left them in the ring, I think that's a surefire sign that he retired, he also broke character, 
Because I don't think Michelle will kill. Oh, yeah, that actually is. That was pretty surprising. And, uh, did he kiss her or did they hug or something? No, they embraced. Um, and I think the commentators noted that, didn't they? Mm. Something about, like, that's Undertaker's wife. So. Yeah, former gay women's champion, Michelle McCool. Yeah, but. So, I think it is his last match. Um. Hey, if it is, I guess, what, what better way to go out than losing to the guy who's going to beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania? And the guy that realistically is going to be the, the, the centerpiece of the company for the next ten years. Yeah. Well, it's a lot safer than having losing to Braun Strowman. Do you think that this... What do you think this has done for Roman Reigns? Not much. I don't really think Roman needed the win. But I guess he has it now, so... I don't know, I don't think people are really going to... There's nothing they can really do to make people view on Reigns in like a different light. It's not even the legitimate or anything. He's already fucking... I mean, he's already there. Unless they're going with people hating Roman Reigns. Do you yeah. think they're going with that now? I don't know, I think that they... Like, I would say even the most ardent defender of WWE creative team would state that no matter who you are, when you go against Undertaker, you, you may not be heel, mm. but he's definitely the bigger face. That was only Lepa that was Shawn Michaels, where it was kind of 50 50. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know, Shawn kind of came across as a heel for those matches. But, you know. Also, Brock got cheered over the Undertaker at SummerSlam, and sort of at the Hell in Slam match, I think. That one was more of a split, but I think he, uh, Brock was basically the baby face for that match. That was a weird feud. That was, but you know, maybe this is a sign of the boy in the trigger on a Roman Reigns tweener. Maybe. I don't know. Triple H can defend them all that he wants and say that you know, I, as long as Roman Reigns is getting reactions, it doesn't matter. He's you know, he's just if you want him to be a heel, he is a heel. He's just we're just playing him a different way. You can say that all you want. If you're going to go and fucking start editing crowd reactions and muting people's <laughs> boos, I don't I don't think that's a sign that the people are reacting to Roman the way they want to, but whatever, I'm not Triple H, so I'm not privy to the level of information. I'm sure he is. He probably has a lot of a better insight into how Vince McMahon thinks and feels than I do. Do you think that there is an argument for... WWE to say, kind of with like, I know they've wanted to make Roman Reigns and John Cena for a long while, but that <coughs> they're nearly in the perfect situation. Mm. Because it's like, you know, Roman can still go and do all the make-a-wishes and pass off the kids, and, you know, if the kids love him, that's great, but, you know, if the, the older fans, maybe the fans that are going from an independent wrestling um, fan base or whatever, if they don't like him, then, you know, they're kind of like, we get the best of both words. We get the selling of the merchandise with the younger ones, mm -hmm. we get the older people hating him, we get reactions, it means that when it comes to feuds, we can put him with anyone, we can put him against the heel, we can put him against the face, yeah, but it does, and if we put him against someone who's, you know, maybe they're trying to turn face, you know, if they go against Roman Reigns, they'll become a far bigger face, yeah. you know, do you think that there's that argument for me. Well, there's that. That's the John Cena effect that they had. I mean, they always that, that shit with John Cena. John Cena could feud with heels and he could feud with faces, and I'm sure they would always get over and get cheered more than John Cena was heel or face. But 
I guess that's what they're looking for. They they did say they want to remove John Cena, so I guess they have one now. They've got a new shiny Samoan John Cena, all wrapped up and everything for him, and he's going to get booed out of the building when he beats Brock next year. And I'm sure that they're already anticipating that, and they're already playing back in their mind how they're going to end the crowd reactions. Although, as you said to me before once, um, if Roman Reigns. Like yeah, like if they're editing card reactions, that's a sign that something's not right. Yeah, obviously, but it's a sign that they're not the people are not reacting the way that you want them to react. If you if they were reacting big, and Triple H was like, oh that's that's fine, we don't really care as long as Roman's getting reaction, we're happy with that. And then they would just leave them the reactions as they are. Then maybe you would you would be able to buy that. But if they're fucking editing video packages to make it look like Roman Reigns is beloved and he's clearly the most hated fucker on the entire roster, then, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't believe you. But well, I remember... What do you expect from to say? He's a fucking... I mean, he's, he has the, the corporation or whatever. Well, I remember... You, the corporate ministry. Yeah. Well, I remember when you said to me that, at least with John Cena, there is a character. Like, yeah. people know what John Cena stands for, also, while they respect you, are like, I don't know what that is, but at least that's something that people can associate with John Cena. Yeah. But you're like, with Roman Reigns, like, what is the character of Roman Reigns? Uh, he comes out in a it's jumpsuit. One versus all. Uh, it has Yard, <laughs> who, uh. Dog. He's the big dog. Those are That's his character traits. I don't know what any of those things mean. I guess you can associate them with Roman Reigns. I don't know, at least the hustle of loyalty respect, I guess, is like, a, it's an ethos. Having a yard and being a dog, that's, unless you're the junkyard dog, that's not really anything that people can sink their teeth into as a character, but I guess Roman's character is that he is the corporate whipping boy and they'll be able to just kind of parade him around there for people to shit on and people to stop paying attention to things that are beyond their, their grasp. So, Do you think he's a ball? He's the member of the Shield that's evolved the least? He Since the breakup, I don't know. He didn't really evolve that much, but like, well, what was Dean Ambrose in the Shield? How would you define him? Dean Ambrose is pretty much the same character in the Shield as he is now, except he's a he's a face now. Rollins is probably the one that's character-wise has changed the most. Roman, I don't know. Roman pretty much plays the same character now. He's got more of a decadish attitude about him whenever he speaks. <coughs> so I guess that counts as character development in some sense, but. I guess we'll just have to wait and see over the coming months what their plan is and how they plan on getting from point A to point B. We already know the match with Brock is pretty much their plan right now. How they actually get to that point is more interesting to me. I, think. I wonder if they'll... Uh, there has been... I suppose there has been progression in Roman Reigns and that he used to do superhero promos. Yeah, he doesn't really cut Jack and the Beanstalk promos anymore, so... That's that's something at least they heard people on that and they kind of went, hey, what are we doing? We're probably not supposed to act like our big bad Samoan motherfucker <laughs> is a is a child who's telling nursery rhymes. But you know, hey, they at least they understand that that's not the best way to get somebody over as a as a big star. But anyway, so final word on uh, on the Undertaker here, R.I.P. Yeah, I suppose. R.I.P. to the Undertaker. What a what a man, a wrestler. Feel lucky to have seen him at a WrestleMania. Yeah, that's. I'm glad that we went last year. I mean, probably would have been a lot better if we went this year, but I'm glad that we went last year to see the Undertaker. At least at some point, 
Because we waited until next year in New Orleans, we wouldn't have had a chance to see an Undertaker-WrestleMania match. I'm kind of raging that we were not able to see a streak match, but whatever, you know, you, you, you know. And Gwyneth did, like, a storyline the last last year was a great storyline. Yeah, I yeah. We were all craving an end to the authority, and we didn't get it. But, like, you know, we got a sale match, we got change of stuff. We got to see the Undertaker's entrance live and in person at a WrestleMania. We can't put a price on that. Yeah, you can't put a price on that. Did you see that there was. Except you can, because it was like, what was it, £1,200? You see, there was a dude that was selling Undertaker smoke? Yeah, I did see that. That was pretty funny. It was from like the it was from WrestleMania 31 as well outdoors, so I don't know how the fuck he managed to capture the smoke outdoors, but whatever. He's uh, I'm sure he's making a pretty penny off that. And just final word: Who's going to induct the Undertaker next year? Uh, either Kane, Mick Foley, Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, or Triple H. One of those guys. I'm it should be Paul Bearer, but unfortunately Paul Bearer is no longer with us. I'm going to go out there and uh, say something he's be entirely happy with, and say that. Triple H is going to be the one that they're going to I have. don't think so. I think it'll probably be... I would hope it would be Kane, but... I think it'll be Shawn Michaels. I think they like the Kane. It'll either be Kane or Shawn Michaels. Kane might be too busy being mayor at that point. Those are the kind of guys I think that are most closely associated with The Undertaker's career. So, probably be one of them. Might be best to have... You see, it probably should be Kane, actually, because, I mean, Shawn Michaels has, like, fucking thousands of friends that he can induct. He's already inducted Kevin Nash in there. I'm sure they'll induct Triple H in there when his time comes. He'll induct Xbox in there, probably, as well. Uh, him and Triple H will probably induct in the entirety of DX as well, whenever they start running out of names, and have to induct factions in there. <laughs> so, I mean, Shawn, will, he'll have his time on the podium. Kane's not really... Like, Kane's been around for so long, but he's not really, like... Like linked to someone's career more so than the Undertaker. I would love to see Kane. So it's gotta be Kane. That's gotta be Kane. Yeah. So that'll do it for the WrestleMania. We might as well just briefly touch on. Did you see any of the Raw or SmackDown the night after? Or are we just gonna touch on Superstar Shakeup? Uh no. Leave Superstar Shakeup. I don't remember the results of Superstar Shakeup. To be honest, well, I know so Ambrose got drafted. Superstar Shakeup was that Ambrose. Bray Wyatt and the Miz and Maurice went to Raw. That doesn't feel like that much. Um, I thought it would be more. For some reason. Smackdown. I think Smackdown won hands down. Yeah, because Smackdown, Smackdown got from that Kevin Owens, mm-hmm. Sami Zayn, and Charlotte. Uh, there was some other male mm-hmm. wrestler, and then they lost Alexa Gender. Bliss. Uh, Alexa Bliss and someone else, and, yeah. they, and then Mickey James, and they gained Charlotte, and they gained the New Day. Avenue. And they lost flipping for the new day. They lost like Usos or somebody. I don't know. Uh, well, no, Usos are the tag team champions. They lost like a tag team, and they got Shinsuke Nakamura on. Yeah, I suppose Balor's back on Raw. So. Did you see the Nakamura debut? Yeah. What did you think about? I thought it was funny that he just came out <laughs> and did his dip and then left. I'm like, fair enough, I'm okay with that. It was yeah, great, I'm I'm the, it. This guy got a fucking rock star ovation on SmackDown. Hopefully that continues over the next couple of weeks and people don't just kind of slowly lose interest in him. I know that JR commented on uh, he did same as English. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, <coughs> he does. He cut a promo with Dolph. I think he said maybe like seven words and then just kind of beat up Dolph and chased him off, but... As long as he improves on that, 
There's no stopping him. He's pretty much, other than his English language, he's pretty much got everything going for him. He's a great wrestler. He's got a great entrance. He's charismatic as hell. He's very, you know, he's just, he's just a fun guy to watch. Even when he's doing nothing, he's still great to look at. He's just, he's always, he's always moving something. He's always got a facial expression on or doing something with his hands or his, his arms or his legs or whatever. He's just, I don't know, he's just a fucking weird guy to watch. It's great. It's SmackDown, I think, is very lucky. Yeah, they're, like, they're they've got well. they've got um, Randy Orton. I suppose Shane, but I don't think he's not going to wrestle. Oh. But like they've got Randy Orton and Shane, AJ. Daniel O'Brien, AJ, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Dolph Ziggler, Nakamura, American Alpha, Baron Charlotte, Baron Corbin. Like they're a pretty strong roster. Yeah, that's a strong set of guys there, and you figure that. At least Nakamura and Baron Corbin, and possibly Sami Zayn, would be contenders for the world title at some point. I hope that they don't. WWE has a tendency not to build up to things. Like, mm. sometimes they get a guy's first feud is for like, the world title. Yeah, well, they're kind of taking it easy with Nakamura. I think they're kind of testing the waters out of him. He, went, he interrupted the Miz, and yeah. he interrupted Dolph Ziggler. So, I mean, I. They could turn around and have his first match on SmackDown be against fucking Randy Orton next week, for all I know. And then he ends up winning the title. Or he ends up getting dropped out of nowhere with an RKO. Yeah. Do you think we're in for a Randy Orton rate of terror? No, I don't think so. I think this rate will probably not be too long. I imagine he's probably going to lose that belt at SummerSlam or there, but I think the reason that he's facing Bray Wyatt right now is because it's too soon to do something between him and Nakamura, I think is what I read. Because I know there are plans for that. I think that you're probably, if I had to guess, on a SmackDown title match for WrestleMania next year, it would probably be Nakamura and AJ Styles. I'm not too sure who the champion would be, but they're probably, they're definitely going to want to put that match together. They might jump the gun and do it on fucking SummerSlam, but that's a match that they're definitely going to do. I think I'm going to go with AJ and... uh I don't know, actually. AJ's feeling with Kevin Owens at the moment, doesn't he? Yeah. That's just something for AJ to do until we put it back into the world title picture. I don't know if that's a good fit for him. Owens? Or no, for AJ. Yeah, for AJ. The AJ Owens feud. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, because he's going to lose it, like, and he's been booked so strong. I don't know, he did And, like, if it is a bit part feud to get him before the main feud, there's no logic to it, because it's like, um, lost off feud, why would he be pushed up the They could always, always do a bullshit finish. I mean, they could always have a United States title match, which Owens wins with shenanigans, and then they could do a non-title rematch, which AJ wins. They've done shit like that before. I don't know, they're not going to put the US title on AJ Styles, would I guess. Unless Although, they fucking do put the US title on AJ Styles, would be kind of funny. It's funny that, um, I feel like, Sadly, the big SmackDown guys going to Raw, like, the Miz has been brilliant, but he's just not going to get the airtime on Raw. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Well, there's three hours on Raw, so he probably should get the airtime. And for the money following as well, Bray Wyatt is destined for transition stuff now. Yeah. Well, he's, he's in a few with Balor, so he'll be alright. you see the Balor return on Raw? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty good. I mean... It's pretty obvious, like, but whatever. Sometimes you got to go with the obvious stuff, stuff that makes the most sense. What do you think of the? I know there's a big issue with this. Do you think that they should keep all the tag teams on one too? 
I know, like, I've heard arguments on both sides and people being like, tag team wrestling isn't like a gimmick type of wrestling. It should be incorporated into mm-hmm. mainstream wrestling as in then you should have two brands. But I'm just thinking in terms of depth. I, like, just, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think, like, when then you'd be like, but then there's teams that will never get feuds, like, in Febreze. But, like, for me, you know, you should be putting Tyler Breeze in and, like, Intercontinental Championship matches and stuff. Yeah. So, like, imagine if you had a tag division that had the Usos and the New Day and the Hardys and Cesaro and Sheamus and American Alpha, Enzo and Mori and Cass. That's a lot of tag teams, though. Is that not good, though? Yeah. You have two tag matches per show, like? Yeah. I don't know. It, uh, I, can, I can understand both sides of the argument. Why do you have a tag team championship on one show and have a next tag team championship on the other show? I thought that would be kind of funny. Especially whenever I was watching WrestleMania, I was like, they should have next tag team championships. Because they could have Miz and Maurice competing for that. They could have Cena and Nikki Bella. You have Triple H and Stephanie. Uh, Dean Ambrose and Renee Young. A lot of married couples. <laughs> Jesus, that would be entertaining. <laughs> what a great on-screen act that would be. Yeah, or you could just have like non-gubbles that do it. Or they could just, I don't know. Lana and Rusev. Lana and Rusev. See, there's a lot of fucking guys. That but like, I, the, the problem with mixed tag is that, no, the one that fed the woman in my head fed the guys. Mm-hmm. So like, the idea of tagging someone in doesn't, you know, take effect. Like, you even being an ally to someone. And they can just leapfrog you and tag, and then you have to just get out. And then it's, you know, whatever story you built up with that person of working them over or whatever, yeah. you can't do that. You can't have, like, quick tags working over someone's little leg or That's something. It's a different type of tag team wrestling, though. So you can, I don't know, work that into the storylines. I don't know. This is an idea. I don't think it's ever actually going to happen. It's probably a pretty stupid idea. They, need, they need less. They need less fucking titles, not more. Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon as the... Horrible. Like, you have Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. Yeah, the fucking two retired ones. But who else could they have on the show? I don't know. I don't know. They just put together. You have Zack Ryder and Emma. Yeah, they're not even together anymore, so I'll be honest. Are they not? No. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Maybe they are now, but I'm pretty sure they broke up. Make them the tag for the champions then, and make it just really, really awkward. Was there not, like, a story that the Japan was going to do with, like, Charlotte and someone? And there was like a thing with like two guys, like Charlotte went with someone, and someone was going with some other woman, and they were like going to bring it into the field or something. Didn't, didn't, they, just, didn't they just do that with Mickey and Cena versus no, no, but there was like a thing where there was some guy and he'd, went, he'd been going out with Charlotte, and then they'd like finished, and he'd been going out with someone else. Was it like... I don't know. They were going to I know that Charlotte was married to... Bram and TNA. Oh, not I really don't know. Anyway. Anyway. So, that's pretty much everything (coughs) we need to touch on. So, we'll be back next week then with WrestleMania 2, a a wonderful show. And we're going to talk about that. And then, uh, we'll do WrestleMania 32, I suppose. Yeah, after that, we'll do WrestleMania 32. So, we're just going back and forth here. So, yeah. That's uh, that's just how things go on the ultimate thrill ride. You just need to scrap in and take what you're given. So yeah, that'll do it for for today. We are way over time here, so I'm gonna put a swift end to this one. All right. So.
so long. All right, folks. R.I.P. Undertaker. <laughs>